0: I saw a squirrel running through Verundo's Beard one time.
1: You saw a squirrel? Wow. He's got a nest in there. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> he's got to hide there from Tuvix. <laughs> Tuvix is mad. He thinks the squirrel's name is Janeway. Oh. Hey, this is Dag, and you're listening to Beyond Trek Podcast.
2: Oh. A red alert. bringing up
0: bringing up old wounds but
1: but honestly jay um if you didn't shave your head where would your hairline be
0: oh boy well it would be like in the normal spot for the front but there would be this kind of cup holder thing happening right here you know right in the right in the the, middle the friar tuck spot yeah, pretty much the Friar Tuck
2: spot. It's
1: like when, and... when Data was Friar Tuck, he had that bald spot shaved right around. Hey, Big J, guess who's back? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody, I'm not going to say who, but you know who you are, if you're listening, uh, took a tweet that I made from a couple of weeks ago and is starting to build a uh, a script around it. And oh. the tweet uh, was that, like, in the 98 years between First Contact and the, fa- and the founding of the Federation, there could be, like, a 120-year-old who's seen it all, who lived through the end of World War III, who was there for First Contact, and, you know, 50 years later was there to see the last, the last murder, the last person out of poverty the last case of some really weird disease be healed wow and then no um, i'm not so
2: optimistic on that thought for the simple reason of like wars tend to cause global uh aging averages to like drop
1: okay but i mean we there's always yeah there there might be one there can always be be one. one person i mean we had what was it television came about and they were able to interview the last eyewitness to abraham Lincoln's shooting
0: Oh, wow. Jesus.
1: He was like 105 or something like that. It's possible. There is today a widow of the last Confederate soldier. No way. Or the last Union soldier. Because the Union soldier, basically because they got military pensions, they would marry very young. And so he was like in his 80s in 1940 or something like that, 1930, and married like an 18-year-old what and she's what like the... almost 100 now Jesus. i mean it's kind of crazy
2: right so like james buchanan was the 15th president of the united states yeah he had grant two grandsons not great grandsons but grandsons that were still alive in 2012.
1: Mm-hmm. i think one of them's oh. still alive today i think so yeah so Some
2: longevity can happen yeah oh no well, john that's... tyler not buchanan yeah john tyler. it's
1: because tyler had a kid at like 89 and then that kid had another kid at like 80. So <laughs>
0: and you that's the stretch of that grand,
1: grand total of 160 years, and you end up with a kid today who's 80 because he was born back in 1960, the year before right. his dad died, and his dad was born in 19 in 1880. <laughs> so uh, yeah, uh, so welcome to Beyond Track Your History podcast. Now apparently beyond history podcast beyond history before pre-history i mean buchanan
2: burnham they kind of sounded like we confused the two (laughs) one of them started
1: the burn i don't know what buchanan did sorry
2: i mean there is an argument to be made that burnham and saru are responsible for the burn entirely here's the why, here's the why um, Saru managed to get the Kelpians to leave their Dark Age on their planet essentially, right Powered right. by Burnham, right? right and the reason why there was a burn was because there were Kelpians not on their planet traveling in the galaxy so if they had stayed for another thousand years on their planet under the subject subjugation of the Ba'ul, we wouldn't have had a burn
0: so Saru did the burn
2: I mean, yeah, like, the argument like Bush could did 9 11. so I need to I, point I something
1: out Like, thinking about all of this and, like, the burn, and I'm like, oh, man, they outlawed time travel. How come nobody is warping back around a sun to do time travel? And it dawns on me, in every single instance in Star Trek in which a starship warps around the sun to time travel, Spock is aboard that ship. Yep. Every single time. And it's because of his experience at Discovery that he learned the math to do the thing, which is why in the naked time, Spock does the time warp you know, thing to unfreeze and they end up three days before that. The next time they warp around the sun is um what's that where they want to witness that John Operation Christopher. Armageddon or whatever?
0: I think it was Operation Armageddon.
1: No, or, uh, no Operation, Operation Annihilate. A- Operation Annihilate was the Denevan flibbity blobities and Spock got sick and had to use his third eyelid and they brightened him up and stuff like that. No, it's um they were going after john christopher on the saturn probe and they wanted to research that or something no.
2: like that all our yesterdays I'm... it's something no, like that it, all our yesterdays uh... is the last
1: episode it's the one with zarabeth um in any case the third time they do it star trek four the most notable time um yep. and then the fourth time they do it spoilers for star trek coda book three I'm not gonna I say finished it all. Just, okay.
0: All right. All right. Just I, I, I'm still listening to the audio book. Ha- I know happens. where you're going.
1: It happens in that book, and Spock is there for that. So there's your tiny little tidbit. Right. If you thought Coda wasn't for you because it was all this newfangled hipster TNG bullshit, well, there. Now you've got some <laughs> TOS love.
2: There's a lot of TOS <clears throat> love in that book.
1: Hey, spoilers! I'm the only one who's allowed to tread the. Lo- no, I'm kidding. Well,
0: so tonight we're gonna be a little loopy because it is late and we are dangerous when we do episode reviews on the loopy side.
1: By the way, this is a holographic cigar, so no cancer risk, no secondhand smoke, Rogan. It's a vape. It's not a vape. Do you hear what happens to people who vape?
2: They like get cancer?
1: Nah, dudes who vape are two and a half times more likely to be infertile.
2: They're also much more likely to tell you that they vape than anything else. (laughs)
0: i I did read that about the
2: well
1: i mean we've been recording there's this beautiful spaceship up on the display here so Um, let's get into
2: the episode then i guess right uh, oh god yeah yeah.
1: no do we do we know the name of this spaceship
2: yeah the uss credence the
1: uss credence it's beautiful i'm feeling like if they took two nx class ships and just smashed them together like a sandwich on top of each other.
2: I see where and you're then coming from. Attach the That's
1: that's where I it see got. where
2: you're coming from. The vibe I was getting was the Kelvin, from the like from the 2009 Star Trek movie. Sure. With a Soyuz class like part on top, and then four nacelles that just kind of float on by.
0: Like the stargazer. Oh, yeah, okay. like a
2: stargazer arrangement, but they float rather than see, attached. the
1: attached. Soyuz. That was Morgan Bateson's ship.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That's correct.
1: Fraser. <laughs> okay, so
2: the name of the episode itself is "Choose to Live." It's the third episode in Discovery Season Four.
1: It is, um, and if you're a big fan of Picard, the name was already a big giveaway.
2: It it definitely sets things up. I do like the fact that they're integrating lore from Picard, the call and the lot into like oh, Discovery. Yeah. It makes sense. Picard Season One did more to flesh out Romulan culture than anything else has ever done. Oh yeah, so, which was great. I loved how yeah. they fleshed that out yeah we just didn't have much so cool so episode starts with the ship that's in behind me in orbit of a planet just doing typical starfleet things they show up and they're like hey dilithium no strings attached y'all can have it the same thing that burnham was doing in the previous episode and in this case they were received warmly and they were about to beam down the dilithium and when they drop their shields in order to do so uh, three hooded figures up here and uh essentially try and steal it and in doing so they kill i believe the xo of the ship a commander
0: yes he was a uh, commander and <clears throat> i gotta tell you <clears throat> excuse me geez i really like this scene and here's why i can't think of any time or anyone but maybe benjamin cisco when it came to starfleet officer whooping ass yeah you it was pretty much always it went like this someone invaded a ship fired one phaser blast uh did a did a the palm strike to wharf he's down uh, data who's supposed to be extraordinarily fast you know, he's still sitting at his station lollygagging or whatever There, were, there's never been like an actual good fight like this against three Kwat-Malat, uh, you know sisters nuns whatever you call them and to me that is what a starfleet officer should be like i've always pictured them as you wouldn't just walk up on a marine start a fight or try try to match fisticuffs with one i i thought okay you don't have those branches of military and army navy air force marines you've got starfleet why, why do we have to assume that nobody in Starfleet can, can fight? I mean, th- this guy did what I've always wanted to see a Starfleet officer do is you being onto my ship? Oh, hell no. And just start kicking ass and, and so fighting. Well, it's definitely
2: well. not the first time we've seen this, right? Like we saw the, the Cerritos repel borders in the first season and they had like the all on everybody's grabbing phaser rifles and doing it. We've seen it in like first contact when they just go down to try and retake the engineering deck, right? Like we see it a few times, right? But the whole like more hand to hand, you know. I don't see that as a difference. I'm
1: kind of with Jay here, though. I thought this was notable for reasons, and I guess the reason is because like number one, the last time we got a live action bit of this was almost you know exactly 25 years ago, first contact. If you're really thinking about that too much, we've had Die Hard in space with the captains, but we haven't had a feature spot on a on a literal red shirt you know in in the the cerritos mo- moment that you mentioned um we get some collage moments of uh um,
2: the crew fighting back of, of the yeah. crew fighting
1: back against the black oh. but this was a really nemesis
2: nice... Riker and the the, yeah, the viceroy is well Riker, uh... Riker can't die right you know,
1: this was this was a literal red shirt who Had some awesome training, he gets a feature spot against the Kowat Malat. Like, those dudes are the scary people in this show, and so I actually was very pleased. I'm kind of oh, a I don't
2: disagree. It was a really great scene. I really liked it. like the fact that there was a sacrifice scene to it. I just don't think the idea that we should expect Starfleet officers to be like Marines is realistic. They're more scientists than they are anything else, they're diplomats and scientists for the most part. You don't expect your teat your your professor at a local university to be ready to throw down in fisticuffs. You don't know that. There's one way Whoa. to find out. It could go well or go home. badly. A little too <laughs> close to
1: home based on the events of, like, the last year.
2: Yeah. Okay, so, we see this neat scene. She, the Coat Malat nun even does the whole, please my friend, choose to live. He still goes for the... He still goes to fight back, and she kills him and apologizes, and they beam out with the dilithium that the ship was carrying. Um... Cut to Federation HQ, where President Rillac, President Torina of Navarre, uh, Vance, and Burnham are all there by being briefed on what this has happened, like what happened. Apparently it's not the first time, it's the fourth time that a cash has been stolen this way. And uh, this time they have proof that it's a Romulan named Jivini, a citizen of Milat, and a nun in the Co-op Malat, um, that's begun doing these series of thefts. And
0: why? And they asked that why the dilithium is being given no strings attached. Why steal it? Which probably
2: for the same reason. Well, they answer it in the episode, but the, right. the, the answer that made more sense to me at the time was just like, well, clearly they think the same thing that those butterfly people did in the previous episode no strings attached still has strings, right? There's always strings with politicians, and politicians are giving this out, so there must be something like just right. a doubt of authority. But that doesn't really make too much sense because the co-op lot should assume that you're telling the truth.
0: There's that, and I, I think we're just—I know now these days we are built and trained to question anything that's free, any any money, any anything. And I—it's a shame, but it's true, uh, and and that's probably the same thing that's translated to to this situation because even though the federation has always been uh on the most part very benevolent there is something tied to it it's it's not going to be probably uh, nefarious or evil but there's gonna be you know they they want you to join their club or uh, you know they they want to trade it's for resources it's, it's just it's
2: growing the, yeah it's the whole insidious. garrick and cork discussion about the federation for sure Oh, yeah, yeah. So, bubbly But, yeah, so the big issue that they bring up in this is that they still don't have a good connection for motive. Vance clearly says that there isn't one, but the crime is clear, so she must be detained. And here we get this uh, interesting scene where Gabrielle, Burnham's mom, shows up to represent the co-op Malat in this investigation. Uh, So President Rillac insists that they won't pursue Javini without Navar's guidance because of the trusted Federation ally uh Navarre wants to be involved so clearly there's politics here tons of politics they're trying to get Navarre back in so mm-hmm. they've been negotiating they've been negotiating it for months at this point <laughs> mm-hmm. so it's pretty testy waters and it makes sense that you're going to defer to the home world of that or the home government rather of that person for how to handle things Um, Which I think would be the standard call anyway, right? Right, it makes sense.
1: That's where my heart was. I thought it was very weird that we were fighting so hard to have this person brought to justice on our end. And I'm like, they're a Navarre citizen. Correct. I, I, I guess maybe they're committing crimes against the Federation for it. But I think Navarre would have the ultimate authority to say, no, go ahead or
2: extradite. I would argue it probably depends on where the person is caught right so like whoever catches her or wherever they're caught is probably what determines who actually has like jurisprudence over it yeah but in this case the federation is clearly saying we will waive that even yeah. if we catch her so that you can make this determination as a sign of like goodwill and that makes sense it is that, a matter of trust i suppose do, do mm-hmm. you think it
0: would be in this is the analogy that that i use uh and feel free to just say you know, jay that analogy sucks it's stupid but Let's say that there's a, a future here where the UN just dissolves our uh, former biggest ally, uh, uh, Britain. We're trying to get them back into the UN. A British soldier comes on to, uh, to US land, kills a US military officer, escapes back to wherever. Okay. Who is the one that gets dibs on the, the jurisdiction on that is it would it be in this example britain because that was the the uh, where the person was from that did the killing or the us because it was on their soil one of their
2: officers so it, it would depend on who catches them right so if the united states catches them themselves and manages to rendition them back to the states somehow then the united states is going to have control over it right if they're caught uh, in a th- by the gov- by a third government say let's say they're caught in, in brazil by the brazilian government then it's going to be a matter of negotiation who has the extradition treaty with brazil right or mm-hmm. if it's even more loopy right what if they're caught in a government that has no extradition treaties then it's a and then it's immediate negotiations right uh, what do you want for this person give them to us the united states will be asking because it's going to be a trial that the united states would want to hold with their laws on their soil um with few exceptions that's typically how it goes some of the more like sticky exceptions are people who flee to countries so like Julian Assange is in a Ecuadorian embassy inside of London even though he's wanted for crimes in Britain and the United States wants him extradited to the United States for further crimes and investigation right Mm -hmm. so there's like a whole series of messes there uh yeah because he's on Ecuadorian soil yeah an embassy technically is what makes it really complicated so but yeah this case I think is actually a bit more straightforward right in in the episode rather uh it's a citizen of Navarre commits a murder of a Federation citizen on Federation soil because it's the Starship Mm -hmm. and then escapes if they're on a neutral planet that has no government like this one appears to be it's whoever catches them whoever catches them and chooses to do it though the way I took
0: it in this episode though was not so much who catches them it's the
2: the back of... Uh-oh. I'm still here. Yep, me too. But I'm not sure Big J is. J's
1: stuck in a time warp. It's just a jump to the left. And a step to the right. Let's do the time, the time warp, warp again. again. Yeah,
2: okay. <laughs> we'll have to cut this mess.
1: No, I think... I think that Neither? was actually a pretty good discussion of, like, jurisdiction, but at the yeah. same time, what we're seeing here is analogous to when all of the pursuing countries' police officers say, all right, we're all going to go after this person, and this organization gets to decide what to do with
2: them. Yeah, but I, I would argue that there's no, like, <clears throat> pressure to force the Federation to do so, other than their goodwill. It's an act of goodwill, which is cool. But yeah, no, Big J, we were just catching up on the fact that the only point that really matters here is that there's definitely no obligation for the Federation to like, give them this. It's a, it's like an act of goodwill. It's a good call in this case. I don't think that it's a, it's a mystery why they did it. And if Burnham really has a problem with it, um, that's just Burnham being particularly stubborn about it. It makes sense to do this.
0: So typically it would have been a, a race who can get to him first. Okay.
2: yeah like I can't imagine that if the Navari Navarian government caught that caught the uh caught Javini first that they would Mm -hmm. give them to the Federation can't imagine that would ever happen uh conversely under normal circumstances I can't imagine that the Federation would hand over a criminal that they caught that killed one of their own officers to back to their home government without first facing justice locally so right
1: right it's
2: just goodwill and it makes sense so okay um let's move on a bit all right. So, the other thing that comes up during this conversation is the fact that Stamitz is going to be working with the Navarre Science Institute uh, to confirm his findings with regarding the DMA, the Dark Matter Anomaly, that is causing all of the headaches and destroyed Quajon. So, you guys Navar- have
1: any... The Navarre Science Institute? Mm-hmm. Or Academy?
0: I thought it was uh, thought Institute. It was Institute. Okay, yeah, because cool. these don't, don't look my, like... My
1: brain was like the NSA... <laughs> they don't fuck no, the no, no. like oh. academy level. Uh oh,
2: that's a different organization. Yeah, the Navari yeah.
1: Science Academy. Uh, I am, I am, I am the, I am the concerned.
2: Yeah, so it makes sense that Samus is going to work with some of the best scientists in Navari Science Institute yeah. and uh, work with them because he's got a bunch of data that he's not quite sure how to interpret, and, that's and the, his theory, the DMA yeah 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 his theory doesn't seem to work based on just the lack of one article which we'll get to later in the episode Mm -hmm. um and then we get another analysis from gabrielle burnham's mom about her thoughts and as to why Javini would do this uh her belief is that Javini is acting as a kalan kai i believe is how they say it it's the uh acting in service of a lost cause thing that we saw in in picard
0: yes yeah that was what um what elron was was doing uh not i'm sorry legolas but not legolas space legolas isn't that what we were calling them sure elnor (laughs) elnor Elnor. yeah
2: we were we were calling them they really didn't
1: do a whole lot for that name elron elnor like come on yeah they they could have done more
2: anyways uh so overall seems like a pretty amiable discussion. The only person who seems remotely annoyed by the setup is just Burnham. Uh, so Burnham volunteers to be the one that works with the Colat lot to capture Giovanni. Mm-hmm. Very Burnham-esque. That all makes sense. Um, after the big meeting, uh, Gabrielle and Burnham have a good hug, which was nice. Definitely good to see that their relationship is continuing to be healthy. And sure. uh, then the President and Burnham have a quick, very frank discussion about like the importance of the Using the Mulat to capture the Malat, uh criminals, uh, because Navarre is on the verge of rejoining the Federation. So, this anomaly, being the great threat that it is, we need the, the Navari Science Institute to work with us, and this is the way to do it. Yeah. So, Burnham seems to be uh, <laughs> impressed with this, like frankness. So she goes off and does it.
1: Yeah, I was just thinking about it. Like, I like how they're expanding the scope of the show to to yes. feature these other characters like vance the kuat Malad, the president um that's where i'm getting the ds9 tingles is yeah. the, the D, ds9 had a lot of expanded recurring characters they weren't in every episode mm-hmm. but but ds9 also their season scoped a full year versus these episodes which feels like a season of 24
0: Oh, God. 24 yeah even
2: though they make it clear though that the uh that there have been months that have passed since the beginning of the DMA stuff so
0: well and there it's the show's getting a lot better about having that like there, there's this underlying thing happening this uh, kind of main season long arc if you will but it's not the focus on every single episode like it's it's back there it's it's there but it's it's not actively sitting in front of this anomaly every episode scanning it trying to figure out this and that we're we're also involving the politics getting the federation built back up and having this anomaly play a part it's like it's like a character in this season and how it's affecting I I guess we would call it the the A plot of the episode is is not the anomaly per se. The anomaly is what would you call it when you know it's it's out there? It's the background. The C in this case, I think. The C plot,
2: yeah, yeah. If any, it might even be yeah. It's the C in this episode. So our A plot is Javini. Our B plot is Tilly, and her trying to get out of her comfort zone. And then the C is the the dma with stamets and book
1: so i would say the c plot is stamets and books investigation but this is the dma arc like the dominion yeah. war arc there yeah. were the individual episodes and nobody says that the in the pale moon light is the dominion war c plot in the pale moon light is that episode and the a plot is cisco tries to get the romulans into the war by doing whatever he does but mm-hmm. this is the this is the arc of the season the dma
2: that's fair. That okay. that's a good way to look at it too. I don't disagree at all.
1: Okay. And I, so I wanted to I wanted to comment there again. Like, we're get this almost. I was thinking about that twenty four reference that I made. here. this almost feels like a fusion of where DS Nine was with its whole year kind of arc thing, and what Enterprise was leaning towards when it was canceled. In that they did have these micro arcs. You had the Augments, and you had the Andorian thing and you had the kirshara and um the uh, the, the mirror universe the, uh, the one kling, and the klingon
0: uh, forehead thing
1: the kling yeah the the, the yeah,
0: augments yeah
1: the, the other klingon forehead thing where they were experimenting with the augments as opposed to the augments just being there right um and then there was terra terra nova was that what it was terra f- terra no
0: terra nova uh let me look the one up.
1: with like colonel green's air oh yeah like, we're oh, gonna, yeah we're yeah, gonna yeah. burn mars I, or something I, like I that i think it
0: was terra nova okay.
1: but point being that Terra something that we're getting these 11 to 13 episode seasons that have this comprehensive arc mm-hmm. and then each episode has a b possibly c plots that kind of work to carry it forward um the, and, and that's that's definitely feeling more like a fusion of the DS nine twenty six episode arc and the Enterprise two to three episode cohesive plots.
2: Yes. Yeah, I think and that it, it works well this way. I, uh, Terra Prime, that's what it was. Oh jeez. yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, Terra Nova was oh, a Wolf crappy ABC both.
1: show about sending people back in time to dinosaur era. That
2: was a really shitty show.
1: Oh yeah, but it the was, guy, like... the guy who who played From Avatar. Yeah, he's a really cool guy. I wanted him to be Cable in the Deadpool movie.
2: That would have worked. He's got yeah. that he's got the face for it for sure. But yeah. no, anyways. Uh, I think that this is a good way to handle it. I think doing these season-long arcs is great. It lets us mm-hmm. actually get some character development, some standalone episodes too. This episode is very self-contained. There's a mystery, there's a murder. Who did it? How do we catch them? Why do they do it? Right? Like that is the questions of the episode and they're all answered by the end of the episode so yeah all right so our next scene is in the mess hall where we've got tilly walking up to saru who's already sitting there looking like he's basically done eating and uh she despises what she's eating and she's having macaroni and cheese so the girl doesn't like macaroni and cheese i am disappointed Um, how do you not like macaroni and cheese i don't know
1: literally had macaroni and cheese for dinner and i'm going to tell you it was not great Really? Like, I love macaroni and cheese, but I had to spruce this up, and let me tell you, dear audience member, as I segue into this, it should be a known fact that whatever prepared meal you buy from the store needs to be souped up, because everything caters to the bland palate. So if you're ever like, this thing that I bought, I hate it, spruce it up, put the seasonings in there, fix that up, do like Papa Cisco and make it a meal.
2: Yeah. Back to yeah, zhuzh up whatever you're having, right? You don't have to eat it bland as it was. Just <laughs> zhuzh it up a little. Oh, man, I put, well, some, the way...
1: I put some campfire salt in there. I put some bacon Ooh. salt in there. I put some oh. pepper on that, some sour cream, some Parmesan cheese. and It dude. was still terrible. So <laughs> No.
2: But, but at least you <laughs> accept that there can be good macaroni and cheeses, right? Because it seems like oh. Tilly doesn't agree.
1: No, I definitely agree. But Tilly just doesn't like cheese. How do you not like so cheese? Weird. That's... So my it's sister doesn't like cheese, which is fine. Sacrilege. No, Jeez. it's it's only sacrilege if you're like, man, that's a waste of cheese. But if you think about it as these people have a genetic sacrifice button for the rest of us to benefit. Then it's so okay. that they
2: can kill us by our stopping our own hearts. <laughs> that
1: is why we need Starfleet healthcare. <laughs>
2: that's
1: true. All right. So so the
2: reason why she's having this food that she clearly dislikes and she's like going at it is because she mentions that Dr. Culber has been getting her to try new things that are outside of her comfort zone. So like sleeping with her pillow at the other side of the bed, taking the long way to the bridge, you know, really trivial little things. I I
0: cannot categorically cannot sleep on the other side of the bed. I have my side, like my side. I try to go sleep on the other side then it just feels like it would ruin my day you know that 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 routine you you break it's kind of like sitting in the same chair in the break room at work every day it's your chair that's your spot that's your routine i don't know to me it's i get trying to get out of your comfort zone but i'll try that i'll try that tonight i'll try sleeping on the other end of the bed and
2: you can do it if, Big Jay. if, if you guys never
0: you. if you guys never hear from me again i, I died
2: i
1: mean if you have a twin extra large there really isn't another side
0: yeah right because a guy my size is in the twin extra large
2: okay come on so so let's not body shame i wasn't trying
1: i wasn't even going there i was making fun about the size of the bed because i had a twin extra large in college and there's just no other side to a twin extra large
2: true all right so uh Tilly then brings up the fact that she wants to help Saru water his plants or something else that's just totally not in her wheelhouse. Uh, Saru seems a little apprehensive about it until she explains more about why she wants to do it, and uh, he essentially agrees to let her do it. Um, He's in a bit of a rush because he wants to go have a council meeting with the other Kaminar council members, Um, and this is meaningfully unusual is how he describes it, Uh, but he warns her not to touch the swamp kelp because it's in bloom and then when she asked why not his answer is you should you, you you're better off not knowing just don't touch it very so, ominous i like that very ominous it's a mystery <laughs> all right i'm getting like
1: like vibes from that species that budded on ds9 I can't remember what the character's name was vilix pran or something like that they were from an avian species oh yeah, yeah budded yeah. Vilix Prenz having another round. Oh, is he budding again? Yeah, it's his third time this year. I'm like, wow.
2: It actually reminded me a lot of an episode in Farscape where Zahn, she's a plant and she's one of the main cast members. She uh buds as well and the pot or the spores that she puts out into the air drives everybody else kind of crazy. Yeah. Wait, is
1: she like so, the blue one with like the yes. textured skin? I yep. just saw a picture of her today on Twitter that talked about how she was her art, her makeup was designed to make her give give her like orchid vibes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: That's cool, and her name is Zahn, which was the yeah, name of yes. the Vulcan character that was supposed to take over for Spock in Star Trek Phase Two. It just full yep. circles all the way down.
2: Yep, nope, but she's legitimately a plant. Like in the show's like explanation and the lore <sighs> of the show, she is a botanical creature. So, I am so kind of like Swamp Kelp.
0: Groot yeah
2: yep all <laughs> right so next scene is burnham going down to engineering where stamets is examining equations and booker is trying to help as well here's where we get the explanation about his dma theory and what's wrong with his theory so he's been on what he's calling a tachyon treasure hunt he's trying to find any proof of tachyons being emitted from the dma before it hit quasion this is also where they give it the name the dma but yeah uh but they can't find it anywhere and Did it's we unnecessary
1: define what DMA stands for
2: dark matter anomaly
1: dark matter anomaly right.
0: so there were there are five conditions that make a wormhole he was able to find four out of those five now couldn't it stand a reason that it could be a wormhole with of the conditions I mean why is it these five that are just ironclad it has to be this or it's not that
2: hey big j can you imagine a square for which one of the preconditions was not having 90 degree angles a square
0: okay yeah yeah no that's no such thing
2: right so that's the thing the definition for a primordial wormhole requires there be tachyons okay it might be something else it's just not that
0: it that's a good way to put it i i didn't think of it that way
1: yeah it's it's definitely the wormhole science is definitely beyond the three of us in this room yeah uh especially (laughs) fictional wormhole science um they i mean science will say okay there could be the possibility that a wormhole could exist without tachyons however if every wormhole they've ever classified ever has shown a preponderance of tachyons it makes sense that they would continue to look for tachyons and if it's the science is defined to the degree that like, again, like Renzo said, like there's no such thing as a square without 90 degree angles. It is the definition of a square to right. have that characteristic. If it didn't have that characteristic, you would not have a square. Um, you'd have a trapezoid, you'd have whatever the hell you I'm, want. It's I'm, just not a square. square. Right. I'm willing to ride with Stamets on this. Okay. And I'm willing to ride with, as we'll find out towards the end of the episode, Torina.
2: Well said, yeah. Yep. So here he discusses that he wants to uh go present all of his findings to the Navarre Science Institute. Maybe they can find something in the data that he hasn't seen, because his Tachyon treasure hunt just hasn't been working out. Um and Booker is the question though. Uh they Stamets is afraid to bring him along on this mission because he doesn't want to hurt him further, because they're going to talk about the destruction of his home world in clinical detail right and that might be a bit traumatic Uh, booker is very sure he can handle it he wants to help in any way right like he's a man on a mission he's clearly damaged but he wants to be doing something rather than sitting by and waiting when letting others do it it's better to
0: stay busy especially in a situation like that because if you're not staying busy not doing something then you're just you're sitting there in your own head and that may not be the place to be it's, at the time. It's
2: hard, though.
1: I'll get I'll get a little deep for a second in okay. in trauma counseling, and I hope talking about traumas doesn't trigger the audience. So, if so, trigger warning. We're going to be talking about trauma in general. Mm-hmm. Um, in trauma counseling, sometimes you get to a point where you have been searching for the root of the problem for so long that you have to step back and say I can't find I can't find it and the behaviors that I have because of whatever happened are still harmful towards me and or others and I just need to not I need to focus on the behaviors now and not finding the root of the trauma and Booker may be in this situation where he's like if I find out what the DMA is and I can resolve or end or destroy or or make sense of the reason why my homeworld and my brother and my nephew were killed, I can find peace, I can find closure. So his actions to me in this episode feel very much like somebody who is searching for that closure. Now, I don't know what we're gonna do by the end of the season, if he finds the closure and can move forward or if he has to say, I can't find the closure, but I still need to make peace with the behaviors that I've adopted, the the, the coping skills, the defense mechanisms that have kicked in from this major trauma. Um, so that's that's the ride I'm on with Book. Okay. So
2: just my own personal experience on this one. This was almost 10 years ago or so, but I was uh, on my way to work and I got a phone call from my mom telling me that my, basically my childhood dog had died overnight. Uh, And I was pretty heartbroken. I was pretty sad. I get to work and I'm like, I'm just going to work through it. It'll be fine. I was working at Best Buy at the time. I was working Geek Squad of all things. So it was, you know, it's fine. I figured I could just work on laptops, fix things the whole day. I wouldn't really have to look at people very much. It was going to be fine. It was all good. I make it through about an hour of that shift. And I see somebody come in with a service animal that was completely unlike my dog's breed. Look nothing like Becky in the slightest, but just a dog. And ugly crying started and would not stop. I was like dripping tears while trying to set up laptops and stuff. My boss just comes over and goes, no, Renzo, just go home. It's fine, just go home. It's okay. Go cry this out. You'll be fine. Oh man! And uh, I was broken that day, but I totally get the the desire to try and want to like work through some personal loss but sometimes maybe take some time to like recover your sensibilities a little bit before you, before. And it doesn't look like Booker's given himself any, any time to really settle this down. Though we'll see that that changes a little bit by the end of the episode, because he gets a a helping hand. Uh,
0: Here's another thing that, that I think is that guys tend to, I'm Italian, I speak with my hands. No, I'm not Italian. Uh, but guys tend to go on the side of fixing things. I want to fix something. If there's a problem, I need to fix it. Honey, how's your day? Oh, shitty. Here's how we fix it. We do do that. Not so much listeners. Like you know, we're not looking for you to always have a fix or a solution, but that's just how we think. And it's just how we're how we're learned, how we're trained. I don't know why it is, but we're fixers. So Instead of him really thinking about about anything anything else or his own understanding or, or closure, he's on that fixing side. I need to find the thing and destroy it. it.s It's something to fix, which you know, and I, I, I really think that his therapy or/ slash counseling should really, Focus on that. I think it would need to focus on that. It would like definitely need to. Th- this is not a situation where there needs to be a fix for something. I know I'm I'm guilty of it. I'm I'm a fixer. You know, you come at me with a with a problem or whatever, and you might just want me to listen to you, but I'm I'm going to fix it. Okay, how do I fix this? It's just a mode you fall into.
1: It's definitely one of the hard things about having be, being a fixer or a helper and and being like. Oh, you have a problem cool how can i fix it how can i help it and it goes right over your head that it's like no this person just needs to talk just go into the mode and mm-hmm. wait for them to ask or when they've done shared and you have empathized with them then say you know something along the lines of Do you, w- would you like any advice and if they're okay with it then you can ease into the the fixing helping role But that's been my experience and uh, yeah you're
2: totally right and i i'm definitely with big j on this one whenever somebody comes to me with problems my first thought is okay but did you try this oh have you heard about this why don't we do this other thing instead right like just trying to offer solutions it's just my mode and so i have to struggle to empathize more
1: for someone who's struggling on their own who wants the who's looking for the empathy and and the quality time moment um a fixer actually comes off as dismissive mm-hmm oh you're trying to fix the problem you want me to go away from you and do something else and it's hard to recognize this person came to you out of a sense of vulnerability they trust you they appreciate your presence they want the quality time and if your response is oh well why don't you just go XYZ you've completely dismissed the that vulnerability that you didn't even know was there, which is a hard thing to do for people who may need to get to that nitty gritty on communication and approach and say, look, I need your time and I need your ear. Don't fix anything. Just listen. And it's hard to find a space for that.
2: Yeah. It's like, Oh
0: honey, your boss pissed you off today. I'll go kick his ass. That's the fix for that. But.
1: (laughs) Oh, so you don't want to hang out with me. You want to hang out with my boss instead. Are we going like, to choose violence?
2: Is that what we're going to do today? We're going to choose violence? Choose it to live. a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so let's go to the next scene, because this is another interesting one for us. I'm post, sure we'll discuss this a bit.
1: Host body.
2: Yeah, so we cut to our next scene in bay. This is the the zoom type android golem body for Grey has been finished being completed.
1: Uh, this 800-year-old technology
2: yep but it might work so Guardian uh, Z appears via hologram uh, Dr. Culber lets him know that all the preparations made it's you know a Xiantara unlike any other but he's ready to try and uh, there's a very awkward conversation with uh, Adira Tal acting as messenger between Grey and Z where Tall does not directly relay what uh, Grey is saying they They are bad at directly copying what somebody else told them to say. Very bad at it. It would drive a a translator crazy.
1: Yeah, it would. Here's
2: my.
0: I'm sorry. sorry,
2: No, I was just gonna say. So, like, otherwise, it was a very interesting scene, but it drove me crazy every time Adira would not repeat what Gray had directly told them a second ago.
0: Right. Like, yeah, I said this. I think that's
2: more of a writer's choice. Sure. It, w- it might have been more
1: artistic for them to have Gray say it, look at Adira, look at the person, have them respond. Look back at Adira, look to Gray, have Gray respond. Just to have that sense that like the words are coming from Gray, but through Adira.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, here's what I don't understand behind the whole science of the Golem. I get what it's supposed to do. I understand the, uh, the explanation of the science in Picard and how it worked—I I get all that. It's basically you're you're transferring your essence, your mind, spirit, whatever it is, kind of like an advanced version of a Katra in a way, kind of like an avatar, where you know you put the the person on the bottom of the life tree or whatever and you transfer, do a copy and paste or cut and paste to. the to the other being, the the golem, the avatar. This is what I don't quite get about this situation is that uh, Gray was at this point incorporeal. That's what I'm not understanding because the way I understand and see the science is that you have a body, a vessel, kind of like what happened with Picard his body died but there was still a body to transfer from he wasn't just in the ether in the air how do you take that for all intents and purposes adira was talking to
2: a ghost uh, no she was talking to an imaginary friend or uh, right, they were right. talking yeah. to an imaginary I'm, friend I'm gonna sorry let
1: renzo handle this one
2: yeah they were talking to an imaginary friend but they were not completely non-corporeal because Gray may be noncorporeal, but Tall is very much corporeal, and Tall retains everything that made Gray Gray.
0: But these Tall are... is the symbiote. Okay, so it was it, the copying done was coming from the symbiote,
2: not right. just, Jay, not from just Deira's brain. Yeah, exactly. Jay, do you remember
1: the DS Nine episode Facets where Dax has her Jontara? and they transfer the essences of those hosts to the other people. Yes. All they did was transfer a host essence to the Golem. Okay. Very very much like when Kurzon and Odo shared a body, and then Kurzon was like, fuck it, I ain't going back. (laughs) You can't make me. (laughs) And by golly, if they had done a season with Kurzon Odo man that would have been rad that
0: would have been great yeah <laughs> man, i'm not even i that can have, turn into a pack have, of cigarettes at
1: the end of that arc where it's just curzon's like yeah no i'm out
2: <laughs> no renee was so enjoying that too yeah he, he was loving that <laughs> it
1: was great
0: That that makes sense i forgot about it being the uh the back symbi- up tall yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That, that was the backup
2: other than that though the scene itself is pretty sensible the science is all made up and the numbers don't matter but the the explanation does have verisimilitude with what we know about these things in the past so mm-hmm. it, it works for me okay um cool and then at the end of the scene they literally confirm that everybody has consent to do this and then let us begin and we'll cut to that next time
1: effects question whenever gray was talking I felt like there was some kind of CG masking over their face. And I'm not sure if anybody else saw that or if it was just me. If you guys didn't see it, I don't wanna waste time talking about it because my brain was playing tricks
2: on me, but- I didn't notice it, but I'm okay. gonna go look at the screenshots real quick, just out of curiosity. Right. We're
0: not talking Superman in Justice League airbrushing mustache off of Henry Cavill. I, I didn't see something that distinct uh, nor nor had i heard anything on the on the internet you know because the the internet aura is good at finding things out and pointing it out i hadn't had her um hadn't heard a single thing
2: or a deer's face or that. for gray's face gray's. gray's face
1: and it may not be it may not be the the screenshot may not be able to do it too much justice because there's only one screenshot it's on the board for the cust- for the audience to customer gosh i work too much <laughs> it's for the audience to see uh, it's a nice smile, great smile it just felt in the movement of thing it felt like there was sort of a blurred mask over the talking space um, and I uh, I don't know if that was just me or not but
2: I definitely didn't get it but case, case, I don't know um,
1: it was really cool to see two moments in Trek history fuse in this way to have the Jantara and the Gollum, that's cool yep Whoever was in the writing room gets like an A for that thought. It'd be like, well, if you could take an essence and put it in a human, you could take an mm-hmm. essence and put it in a golem. Okay,
2: yeah, that's just a new kind of android at this point. Now, just right. wait
1: till like Gray's like supercharged, like running through walls and like picking people up and hurling them across and stuff like. That.
2: <laughs> well, so no, they can tweak. Supposedly, they tweaked it so that it's gonna that the body is gonna age normally, and they should have all the normal. Uh, trill frailty and weaknesses so. that's true they do that, that. that's
0: that's highway robbery right there if you put me in something like that mm. and you nerf
2: me oh my like, yeah that's listen jay. at that point my life becomes how do i hack this thing how do i hack myself so that i get the superpowers jay back?
1: you yeah. are a six foot five former all-star football player. Right, but lineman. What, what, lineman. lineman former former lineman. all-star lineman. Like I can google you and find articles about you in this. I encourage the audience to do it, but still like if they put you in a golem body and then nerfed you back to your normal body, you'd still be like plus 2 everybody else. <laughs> so plus you know, 2 to all we'd stats. Ha- you have to be nerfed just so the rest of us have a chance. <laughs>
0: okay. Plus 1 to Dag there. <laughs> okay uh
2: all right so our next scene is pretty sweet it's uh, burnham walking through the decks of saru explaining the whole mission uh which he dubs it as difficult um burnham wants to bring along a tactical officer and is thinking like saru's gonna give give them a recommendation for who to bring along and saru goes you know what take tilly tilly wants to learn to do new things and uh you know burnham kind of rebuffs the idea a little bit because like tilly you know, who <laughs> no tilly's tactical abilities are not really her shtick but okay and uh so right. it works out just fine because through notes very accurately that the kalatmalat are skilled combatants and can definitely make up for anything the two of you don't know so we'll see how that turns out
0: that can fill the gaps so yeah, yeah if, if you're not an expert <laughs> fighter it's okay we we
2: got it we'll handle it and tilly has very good intuitive like diplomatic skills which might be of value because the co-op a may not have that let them handle combat you and tilly can handle the diplomacy part of it correct you got to play your yep. part mm-hmm. so on to our next scene continuation scene we're on board booker's ship now and tilly is like very excited for this mission uh like she sounds ecstatic about it and then has to apologize to the co op about sounding too excited that they're going to arrest their sister. So oh, yeah.
1: And then doesn't the co op respond with something like, You have taken my lack of enthusiasm as dismissal, don't do that. Yeah. Or something like that. That was really cool.
2: Yep. And then the whole absolute candor is explained. And yeah, then Chili likes that. absolute candor. Oh yeah. I do too. I find that refreshing.
1: So Remind me absolute
2: candor just be All completely the- true just right. be completely honest be no reason asshole. to sugarcoat things. that's
1: the hardest thing to do but then but then like being completely true it's weird to be a super spy and still have to be honest like elnor you remember in picard when elnor was like chasing the romulans who were trying to kill hugh and like they're like busting in on seven of nine and he just drops down from the sky he should have been like all right, I'm up here. I'm going to drop down on you and kill you all and save seven of nine and then still do it. That would have been more impressive.
2: You know what? Like Klingons <laughs> believe in honor, right? But Klingons still use cloaking devices and will do ambushes. Which right? is There's... weird. Right? Yeah, that is, it is weird. It if...
1: is. It's, it's weird. Sneaky. And it was a flip of the TOS aesthetic because at the time, it was, it was the, the Klingons that were like, super sneaky sneak around and the Romulans who were like super honor let's do this Yeah. Um, yes. but uh, yeah I mean okay so not every species in the universe has to be like true to their word
2: no it's I just took... their concepts of things may be different than ours is what I was getting at right like for a Klingon honor doesn't necessarily mean giving them an equal chance it just means that they had an equal chance had they been scanning had they been looking for you they might have caught you but they weren't so you get the jump on them kind of thing
0: well i take absolute candor not as an announcement of what you're going to do in an action it's it's more like uh, it's not hey i'm up here i'm about to jump down on you guys it's more of i'm surrounded by assholes kind of thing you it's just it's being
1: you know i was up here the whole time they could have looked up before i dropped on them but that's on them well i would think <laughs> in this case it's more
2: something along the lines of uh, when I drop down and kill them, I will make it clear that they know who it was that killed them, right? Like, it's not a sneak attack, it's, they're gonna see it was a co-op Malat that did it. And they will know why they got killed by the co-op Malat kind of thing. That's the candor.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're in heaven. Like, they're now. not, Fuck, sni- they're not sniping not them from above, it. right? Like, yeah. it's, yeah. I
2: need it's if, my face is next to the blade.
1: I need a parody where there's an Elnor rap. And then, like, the co-op Malat is, like, playing the Elnor rap on Blast while, like, sneaking around doing stuff. And everyone's like, what's that sound? Like, oh, no, it's a co-op Malat. And they're joking about it. And then they get killed.
2: So we continue on a little bit in the scene where Gabrielle mentions and talks to Burnham about, like, Spock being accused of murder. And how Burnham, like, fought because of his, her faith in his innocence. Um, and that's not the same as Javinny according to Burnham. They argue back and forth a little bit. And uh, Burnham finally confronts her mom to ask, like, who is Javini to you? Like, why is this so personal for you? And uh, that's when we found out that Javini was the Kalat Moat person who had found Gabrielle when she first arrived in the future and then nursed her back to health, introduced her to the Kalat Malat ways, got her involved in this whole culture, was her mentor in many ways. So that explains that. And we end the scene with this neat sort of uh, realization that they're not going to be allowed to take their phasers with them according to co-op Malot rules because phasers are sneak weapons i don't know oh uh, screw that so they all get sh- swords uh and tilly does not seem super stoked about like fighting with a sword but she's willing to give it a try out of her comfort zone now wait a minute
0: that's where i have the problem okay you guys have your methods of doing things your absolute candor your way but you want me to take a knife with me uh uh-uh. uh why can i not take my phaser i don't get it i think that's where i would draw the line in the sand i'm not a swordsman you, you can't expect me to
2: go They're into not a situation
0: expecting you to. they want you to not have a fighting chance they want you to go ahead and take that chance to die when you have you to rely training? on
2: them I mean, uh... Remember, the Kuat Mulat are all about hopeless causes. They don't give a shit if you if you don't think there's a likelihood that they're gonna win. They're going in. They don't care if it's a hopeless cause. They're gonna do it or they're gonna try. But I'm not Kuat Mulat. I'm not all big about hopeless causes. Let me take my frickin' freak. But this mission goes on Kuat Mulat rules. Oh my god. I feel it
1: necessary to point out that even though Tilly has been the underdog of the characters in Star Trek Discovery this whole time she still has more combat training than all three of us. For sure. I'm not gonna lie about that. Like she probably actually knows how to do some stuff with a sword. Whereas the rest of us were like making memes about I studied the blade. And that's about as much as our our Bushido Jitsu gets into. Excuse me. Now listen.
2: I did martial arts for many, many years. I even got a black belt. So I do know a little bit.
0: With swords? No, I don't have these
2: swords. Listen up here.
0: We've done enough of our share of lightsaber fighting in the yard or at the toy store. I'm just saying, you, you got your lightsaber. Wrong body.
2: podcast. Wrong podcast, I, guys, it, beyond it, Star Wars.
0: We do, it's, at this point, it's like pretty much beyond everything podcast. Beyond yeah. sanity,
2: for sure. Beyond sanity. <laughs> All right, so see While you were studying when... with
1: your lightsabers, I was studying the blade. Oh my
2: god,
0: <laughs> Mall Ninja.
2: Scene ends with Maul Gabrielle getting her way, and they all agree to take swords, and they drop all out right. of warp near some barren-ass moon.
1: Fine. <laughs> you can have your swords.
2: Uh, so they, yeah, oh.
0: I'll, I'll leave it alone. I'll leave it alone. I, cool, I just cool. think <clears throat> knowingly letting someone go into a hostile situation with a weapon they haven't had any training with is just stupid.
2: Yes, but that doesn't mean it doesn't. it's not the rules of the Co-op Malat, right? That's why, I pull my hair their... That's
0: why I don't have any here.
2: There was a tracking chip inside of the Dilithium that was stolen off the Credence. Yes,
0: because they knew the stuff was going on, so they had a bug. They had a tracker. Mm.
1: Mm.
2: So they land on the moon and Tilly reports not finding any signs on the surface, but Burnham just flippantly goes, "What about under the surface skin? Under the surface, and you know that works because you, you got it in one."
1: Is that a weird insight for you?
2: It is, right? Like that seems a little preternatural. Like, how you just guessed that? Like,
1: well, what? I mean, let's 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 do the the dissolution of logic for a second. There, if we know the tracker is here, and we can't find it on the surface. Then the next logical course, even kind of bizarre, under the surface.
2: Not mine. My f- next step would have been oh, so they're cloaked somewhere on the surface. They have a cloaked base because we're dealing with the Co op Malat, which is a Rami 1 organization, so I assume cloaks.
1: Right. That part didn't make it into the log, hence, not in TV. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right, but you see my point, though, right? Like, it, there are other things you could guess, right? Like, how are they shielding it from detection? How are they shielding their life signs? Like, I don't know guessing straight well, away that it's underground is it seems like a jump wait a
0: minute did i did i miss something or we have we haven't seen any instance in uh first season or now in the fourth season of cloaking technology used in the no. center at this time Look,
1: ship was cloaked and osiris ship was cloaked and the discovery can now cloak because the uh those 2311 per- treaty of algeron per- is Matter Matter things, no longer yeah. a thing uh, yeah, everybody can cloak now. We're free. <laughs> Cloaking seems super common. Free how of the, the I Treaty forget of about, Algeron.
0: Yeah, how how to forget about uh, Booker ship, that that Orion ship, well, Discovery. Yeah, because they don't they don't freaking use it. So I mean, when Tilly had a mission
1: when, that needed it, yeah. When Tilly was in command, and Osira was like going there, and Tilly was like, "No, this isn't going to happen." They cloaked, and then Osira's ship immediately cloaked. So yes. we're cool on cloaking, and we have escaped the limitation of that Roddenberryan firmament. Gene Roddenberry was the one who said the Starfleet won't do that; they don't, they don't play that game. Cloaking is sneaky, right? Um, but now, now cloaking is just cool, and it was an obvious tactical advantage that we really should have had. That I think uh, Admiral Pressman pointed out really well in the Pegasus TNG.
0: Well, that's always been my beef is what in the hell happened uh during the uh, the negotiating negotiating for the treaty uh during the treaty of Algernon that said there's nothing the,
2: canon about it. If you know right, there's canon, nothing canon. There is, I mean, I, I
0: just why why would as the Federation why would you what would be on the table that would make you peace.
1: I mean honestly, I'm not gonna lie, I don't know what the details are, they're not canon. There's a lot of speculation online if you're willing to look about it, a lot of head canon, a lot of fan canon, a lot of fan works on what goes into the Treaty of Algeron. It was signed in 2311 after something really bad happened, a lot of people died, some of this is even based on like Elkar's displays from TNG's remastered edition, but um, the, uh, the ultimate thing is that starfleet said we won't develop cloaking tech and the romulans said we're gonna go hide in our little corner of the galaxy
2: even though that jay think of it this way right let's say we're talking about like submarines right you know essentially how submarines work right submarines are very hard to find right yes they are quiet but they still have to propulse themselves somehow right so Mm -hmm. they have to have a spinning thing or they have to be pushing water somehow right Right. So even if they're quiet and even if they're stealthy, like a cloaked ship, there are still always signs to track, and it's always a game of cat and mouse. Can you make a quieter submarine than the best microphones or uh, hydrophones that'll hear you? It's always a back and forth. You make a better hydrophone, they make a better propulsion system, right? And back and forth. It's like the cloaking device is not an I win button up until the scimitar, which had the perfect cloak. But I'm sure that you know five years later, somebody figured out a way to beat the perfect cloak of right. the scimitar.
1: Right. Even for the Defiant, like residual tachyons, you put up a tachyon detection grid like they did in, in Redemption, and the Defiant wouldn't be able to fly through that.
2: But the Dominion was able to find it no problem, remember, with their anti-proton sweeps?
1: they were able to beam through shields and transport to who knows where. Yeah. Season 2 finale of, of Star Trek DS9 really, like made the dominion super scary and then they nerfed that a little bit but they were still super scary it's just they couldn't beam through shields and they couldn't teleport anywhere in the universe
2: anymore. point though big j is just that the cloaking device is a tactical advantage but it's not insurmountable and it's only a temporary one every time you make a better cloak your enemy is going to make a better sensor right. so it's only a temporary benefit usually. it's almost we- like
1: natural selection where like squirrels have like the benefit of camouflage and speed so if they can move faster than their than than their predator can see them then they lived for the other day but the predators will always be having the one that's like oh my my eyesight is better i can actually see you so the squirrels you can't see get away the squirrels you can see are lunch and it's just that recursive cycle of enemy powers finding better ways to hide and seek but it's called cat
0: and mouse. He, so here's the here's the problem that I have with Renzo with how you how you worded that is well we won't use cloaking technology because someone's just going to find a way to be able to see it. Throughout history, there's always been that advancement, knowing that someone's going to find a better way and a better defense. So y- you don't not uh, invent bow and arrow or the cannons or the um, muskets or the guns or the more body armor. It's not based on, well, what's the point of making this or advancing because someone's just going to, uh, you know, they get semi automatics, we get automatics. You know, they I have, have an idea about that.
2: You're right. Bullet piercing
0: uh, so, bullets. Hold on, hold on, hold on. But,
2: you're you're wrong though right like we make treaties on earth with country to country things to not develop certain kinds of weapons for the last hundred years right so there were strategic arms limitation treaties there were strategic nuclear arms reduction treaties all these kinds of treaties were basically don't make this kind of missile don't develop this kind of missile done both sides agree neither side does it right so it's a little we, bit different uh-huh. go on.
0: H- have we agreed in any, any of these treaties that an obvious tactical advantage that the U.S. knew or could do that we would that we yeah. said okay well we yeah won't we're not going to do it
2: yeah absolutely what? biological really? weapons IRBM, yeah biological weapons chemical weapons the IRBM treaty for example all of these things are things that we were really good at and we stopped doing them because it's like too much could you others are doing it could
1: you could you explain to the audience what the IRBM treaty is
2: sure so it's the inter, intermediate range ballistic missile treaty so the mm-hmm. United States had uh, many places where it could put uh not intercontinental but intermediate range so like a couple countries over kind of range uh Mm -hmm. that would target the soviet union the soviet union had nothing equivalently close to to the united states they didn't have anything up until the cuban missile crisis right when the cuban missile crisis scared the living shit out of everyone because of the near annihilation of all human life both sides came to the table and were like okay we won't put missiles in turkey we won't put missiles in west germany you don't put missiles in cuba deal deal and the United States had better missiles than the Soviets at the time. We had more missiles than the Soviets at the time, but it didn't matter. The threat of anybody having them there was enough to, to potentially spark the war. Yeah. So, applying it to the Tomed incident and the Treaty of Algeron, right, there was a big incident, the Tomed incident, that led to the destruction of a Starfleet ship and hundreds of, maybe thousands of deaths. Um, again, numbers are hazy. I think and it was something like order...
1: 11,000 lives were lost. Yeah,
2: it was big. But in order to prevent an escalation, the Federation goes, okay you won't pursue conflict with the federation we won't pursue cloaking tech you know we can do it we've stolen them before we've had this technology for many years you know we can and we know you want them cool we want peace you want cloaks we are both happy with this
1: and at 20 by twenty three eleven, we had already had 50 years to dissect the romulan cloaking device that we stole in the, the the romulan episode of tos and we also had had 30 years with the Klingon bird of prey that we stole and crashed into the Golden Gate Bridge, or into mm-hmm. the, and the, the water river. under it,
0: yeah.
2: San Francisco Harbor, yeah. But,
1: yeah. but um, so so we already had a ton of knowledge about how, how this stuff works, and we already knew that there were certain power requirements. For instance, you probably can't get a Klingon, or a, a cloak to fire at the same time without a huge energy surplus that's detectable. At the time
0: they weren't able to do it, but it got figured out.
1: Right, but we oh. figured out how to counter it real quick. It's has got to Remember actually,
2: the Negvar had a problem with cloaking, remember? They even mentioned it in Deep Space Nine that the Negvar was too big. The Regency one, right, was too big for the cloaking devices that the Mirror Universe had. They could cloak every other ship, but the Negvar was too big. So there are definitely some limitations to cloaks, they're not perfect the negvar is smaller than the scimitar so let's just assume that the ones are better at cloaking than the klingons that's mm-hmm. pretty common sense right and the scimitar was able to fire while cloaks and we get maximum warp while cloaked and have its shields up while cloaked. so that scimitar's right. cloak but... was overpowered and probably powered by the thaleron generator or something yeah but uh but yeah it but was... that's one oh.
1: ship that was built to do one thing specifically well that, that wasn't was able, a repeatable process. Wasn't a repeatable process and was also built on knowledge that was likely stolen from the last hundred so years of cloaking tech to be able to build one ship that could do it right.
2: Right. It was a very limited kind of experiment for them. It was kind of like the Pegasus experiment, right? They only had the one, they only needed the one, but it was all that they had to do it, and then it got blew up.
1: And even then, we found oh. it's, we found the weakness. If you have a telepath aboard, your cloak is dumb!
2: As a reminder though, (laughs) we keep assuming that the Romulans are better at cloaking than Klingons, but the Klingons did figure out the cloaking while fire thing first. Chang's Bird of Prey did do it almost a hundred years before the Romulans did, so that's still pretty impressive on both parts. But
1: the Klingons were arrogant and were thinking, let's build one ship that can do it, kill you fast." and the Enterprise had enough defense mechanisms built in to be like, okay, they're trying to kill us fast, but they're traveling at impulse. We can track gaseous anomalies. They're, they've got an exhaust pipe. Let's fire one torpedo right up their tailpipe. Boom. Well,
0: remember what Valer said. It was just the prototype. It was a prototype.
1: Exactly. And they were arrogant because that prototype was built to hit, 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 destroy. Yeah. It wasn't built to against uh, uh, a federation freighter a constitution class
2: so i just want to point out for anybody who likes old star trek video games play star trek klingon academy it actually details the entire history of chang Uh, getting this ship what he did with it who he Mm. murdered with it and who like what the whole thing was used for it's really interesting
0: great game you know what's funny about that game i gotta tell you this real quick and then maybe we'll be able to get back on track so there's this mission in, in klingon academy where uh, in the simulation you make like your your final assault on earth and uh, so you've got earth there you've, you've got the the moon and there's this part where you, you actually have to uh, chase after and destroy the enterprise right So I'm, I'm playing this and like the, the enterprise is just flying around doing this stuff like shit, you know, I can't really get a lock on it. The damn ship flies into the moon explodes uh you got lucky
2: i had to fight kirk and crew and they were okay so the way that the, the game made the crewing important here is yeah. repair times for abilities and ranges on abilities and accuracy for abilities and the enterprise flawless on all parts they never missed they fired a torpedo backwards it was going to hit you anyways it was incredible um but yeah that fight was tough well, I game, mean, got it the ship it. flying into the moon
1: you see Scotty coming to like the shuttle but he's like I've got a torpedo open the door he just pushes it out like ship explodes
0: <laughs> well who'd be responsible for that mishap would that be Sulu or Chekov?
1: no
2: Sulu's not on the ship because you fight the Excelsior in the previous mission oh remember? Yeah, Killian, yeah, Sulu's yeah Excelsior yeah <laughs> Yep. It's so it's the, right. the unnamed red shirt driving. Sorry, so, yeah, back, back to the episode. Back, back to
1: our where we left off with Burdum's very um, stretch of a logical leap to scan underground.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And that's how we got to where we are from that. that oh my that's god! That's how we These got to where we are. The f- so they're scanning, and Tilly discovers that there was a cavity directly beneath the ship with an atmosphere inside, but there's no life signs there. But they do find the tracker. Uh, just then. Javini and a couple of mercenaries, sorry, three of Javini's mercenaries beam aboard uh, book ship and uh, they start fighting. They very quickly kill the Kalutmalat, uh sister that is there with Burnham and Gabrielle. She is very quickly ended. Um, Burnham, Tilly and Gabrielle all fight well. They actually work as a team pretty well and dis- disable or kill the other three. So it actually worked out pretty well. Uh, at one point, they get the whole choose to live thing again. And they we, or sorry, at, at, towards the end of it, Javini teleports aboard, uh, disturbed by seeing all the dead. And she tells them, choose to live, go away, essentially, don't follow us. That's never going to happen. Yeah, and she's
1: like, if you follow me, you forfeit your life.
2: But we know that they're going to follow. So, no surprise. That would
1: there. be a really boring episode if they didn't. What they so, do. Then we just have to see Stamets waiting around on Vulcan while some nsi guys are like let's meditate
2: okay so our <laughs> next scene is back in discovery sick Bay. this is probably our d plot or our c plot for the episode it's the uh the the transfer of gray into the golem Go body yep uh, adira is clearly upset adira can't see gray can't hear gray adira mm-hmm. is concerned
1: did you notice a thing what's so thing? so the blankets the blanket that Adira is draped in has mm-hmm. the Trill language in Gold LeMay trimmed on yes. it. That's the Trill language specifically. Interesting thing is in Lower Decks, when they have characters that have the blankets on them. If you remember the episode of the last season of Lower Decks, where they were left out in the cold for like a few hours, and the Cerritos beamed them back up into sickbay? Yes. They had white blankets with gold trim oh so hmm. I'm just I'm just pointing that part out the the distinction here is that this has the trill language on it and I would love if Gah yogi on Twitter deciphered the language here because Yogi is is wild about these the, these little details
0: really okay oh, yeah. so the linguist
1: I would cool. I would love to get Gach Yogi on a show but he's very much not interested
2: gotcha well, yeah. anyways. Culber tells Adira to stop worrying and just give it time, and they both leave sickbay, and Adira reluctantly follows away, and uh, just, you know, give it time. And uh, Dr. Pollard is mentioned once again, which is nice, rem- reminding us that she exists. Yay. So there's still ah, a forgot. second doctor on the ship. <laughs> yeah. She, I think she might even still technically be the CMO, but it's never it, been really clear.
1: It, it must have been really cool to be Ian Alexander in this scene, where it's like, wait, you just want me to lay here with my eyes closed? I
2: right, right I'm right, taking right. a
1: nap. <laughs> <laughs>
2: but you're still paying me, right? Right?
1: Lavar <laughs> Burton right. was no, known no, to no. Fall I sleep. sat in the chair. I did the blue hair. I did the little things on my face. I got the clothes on. You're paying me.
0: <laughs> well, Lavar Burton was known to fall asleep sometimes, uh, sitting there in between scenes, or whatever, with his visor on. Like in his... that
1: in that episode of Parallels, where he's laying there on the bed with a little gold leme square on his crotch. <laughs> I'd be freezing. Yeah. freezing oh no, Real quick, cold.
0: You, you know what they did to him one time? So there was a, they were shooting a scene in the uh, uh, the conference room, right? And someone noticed, or Lavar fell asleep again. Well, they everyone left, snuck quietly out of the room. So he wakes up and it's like he's alone. There's no one in there. Uh, I thought it was funny. But <laughs> no, I'm laughing. That is really cool. <laughs> that
1: sounds like something I'd be Like, shh, let's go.
2: <laughs> I think that's an appropriate way to mess with your coworkers, right? Somebody dozes off. No need to do like loud screaming in their ears right, or anything. Just right. leave them there.
1: Right, and it's 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 like the the definition of a prank is that everybody laughs, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And if I fell asleep in an office call and everybody left I'd be like, ha, 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 okay, sorry.
0: How disorienting would it be when you wake back up and the cubicles are all empty? <laughs> all
2: right. So next scene is going back to the planet, the moon, with Burnham and Tilly uh they are beamed down to a giant cavernous chamber uh we get the wonders of like is this from a lost civilization maybe it's a mausoleum maybe it's like a museum right and they start looking at these organic pods that are several centuries old uh maybe more did anybody else get
1: Yanata vibes
2: i got strong vibes about alien like the okay. original alien so the
1: original alien but do you remember the yonada mm-hmm. from tos yeah it was the world is hollow it was an asteroid that had people who lived in the middle of it and i got i was like are they gonna do yonada here or are they gonna do fasarius if you remember the fasarius from I uh, fasarius. the corbomite maneuver
0: mm-hmm.
1: i was very much like are we gonna see like
2: first federation guys
1: that would be really cool but you know it would be okay
2: yeah that nope. was one with ron howard's brother
1: i just want yeah. some tranya i want more tranya i want 32nd Tronya. century tranya <laughs> that's what
2: i want maybe it'll be green this time
1: no that's Deborah right. whiskey all
2: right so they find some evidence <laughs> of grave robbing uh inside of this chamber yeah um and they find javini's cloak draped over a dead alien uh they scan it they don't recognize the species the database has nothing they don't have a clue what the hell it is um and they start start trying to come up with ideas like is Javini trying to like steal from these people? Did Javini kill this person? Why did she weave her cloak on it? Did this alien mean something to Javini? Like what the hell is going on here? Um, and Gabrielle counters that specifically Javini would not draw against these people or wouldn't draw against us if she wasn't if it wasn't for a good reason, if she didn't feel threatened.
1: I have a question. The alien species in the uh, the Voyager episode with the the dinosaurs, the pachycephalosaurus that had evolved the Voth, right? Yeah, I got Voth vibes from these guys because if- they have they have the little like orb bony features on the sides of their face. And I was like, ah, a thousand extra years probably wouldn't do much for a species that has evolved into a humanoidish form over 65 million years. Right. But I definitely I just I just kind of felt like Voth ancestors. So like maybe the Voth split off in multiple clades over the course of their migration to the Delta Quadrant.
2: Wrong okay. number of limbs though. These are uh, Bronians, Arbonians or whatever have two sets of arms on either side. The 60, Voth were...
1: 65 million years of evolution a pachycephalosaur they just land on another planet that requires two hands you got like a mutation that's like my two hands are gonna help us out a lot better and then poof that dude gets all the tang
2: alright alright but just so you know they're described as an insectoid species Uh, whereas the Voth were very explicitly reptiloid no you're,
1: you're, you're not wrong okay I take it back I take it back
2: it was it was good though. It was... No, it's not bad. I get. I, I thought you were gonna go with like the whole feel of like the Voth city ship on the inside, where it held Voyager, being kind of like this cavern where they're okay. all just kind of hanging out. Cause I I can see that, but.
1: Nah, I was just going with like the sort of scaly bony aspect.
2: Yeah. scaly bony cool. aspect. So like Cardassians.
1: Are we making fun of the president? No, I've got a hotline. She's half. She's half. Don't carnassing. make me call her.
2: <laughs> I don't know if it's half, but she's at least part. I got yeah. her
1: on speed dial.
2: I like her. I like her a lot. I just yeah, got her on the banana. File. Okay,
1: okay, okay, okay.
2: Going then, back to the episode. No, oh. just
1: super segue for one sec. Yes or no, with no qualifying evidence or other information. Just yes or no. Do you think right now, based on what you know from all the episodes that you've seen so far, literally yes or no? Don't say anything else. Is the president gonna be a bad guy by the end of the season jay
0: hold on you you froze up like right as you were starting to are you asking is the president gonna end up being a, a bad guy at, at the end of the uh, the season? season
1: yes okay yes yes jay says yes renzo i say no okay all right
0: but you I'm know not, why I'm you already not, know why i say we're yes. not going guys... to talk about
1: it.
2: i said no no, no. Okay. no okay,
1: elucidation right. just okay. yes or no Yes. <laughs> Back to the episode.
2: Wait, wait, wait! Okay. No, you don't get to ask that and not answer the question yourself either. You can't put both of us in the in like the scopes and you don't answer. My my rules, my game. <laughs> All right. All right. Do my I question I, my rules? Do I
1: do I think the president is going to be bad by the end of this season? Yes. Do I hope so? No.
2: Okay. Cool. All right. So finishing off this scene. Uh, so the the. Gabrielle counters that Javini wouldn't do this without a good reason essentially uh, a very good reason and uh, Burnham responds with reasons don't matter essentially right like what she did matters she killed a Starfleet officer that's the thing we need to figure out right like that's, that's what we need to make sure is righted the wrong that's righted
1: that's very not understanding of Michael
2: yeah
0: I grant that well but, but it, what is but, there to like, understand when you kill someone
1: I know she gave Spock the benefit of the doubt for like a whole season,
0: but, but Spock was her brother. That's a lot different. Right. Than and
1: this is her mom. From... And Spock well, worked to get these people back together.
0: Yes, but she didn't have the relationship with her mother that she had with Spock. Her mother was pretty much gone, you, you know, but Indeed. she didn't
2: have a good relationship with Spock either, let's be real, right? Like, they did not get along at all. Well, not
0: getting along is, is different from being present other. and being absolutely, like, not present at all.
1: I don't know. I, I just kind of felt that, like, Burnham has given the benefit of the doubt to a lot of people. But this yeah. person is legitimately guilty, and we're not even going to think about it yeah well, in it's the end, a little outside thing. of burnham's character just sort of like that logical leap of let's scan under
2: us so <laughs> this is where tilly realizes that the dilithium tracker is right above them and that the dead di- and that somehow the dilithium itself is active uh so that's where tilly makes the pronouncement that they're not inside of a moon they're inside of a massive starship and giovanni just activated it so they go <laughs> find a turtle. They go find the turbo lift, which is just built into the floor, rather than climb up the sides and just ride it on up.
1: It's nice that the turbo lift is also 32nd century tech.
0: Yeah, it's like a dumbwaiter. It's
1: like it's like every time we encounter an ancient civilization, they always have just our level of technology.
0: Just well, you can't
2: improve an elevator that much more, right? It goes up. It goes down. I mean, do you they.
1: I I thought. Picard had it really well where you just walk into a doorway and appear somewhere else. Why do I need an elevator when I can just teleport to the top?
0: Uh, You want my atoms scattered all over space, boy?
1: I don't see no medical badge on your chest, boy, but you sound like a doctor.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so cut back to Navarre. Here we have Stamets explaining the data recovered about the DMA to the Navarre Science Council. Uh, how it caused gravitational instability within 12 AU, the descriptions of the four categ- or the four prerequisites for a primordial wormhole that it does meet, but uh, nobody can find any tachyon, so it's, his theory's wrong. Um, he presents some more evidence, and they all go into like a meditative trance, which clearly annoys the ever-loving shit out of Stamets, because uh, he keeps talking to them while they're trying to meditate, being like, are, are we going to work? Hello? Hello? Uh, and <laughs> There's Tarina... no time
0: for a nap or a seance.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'd like
1: to believe that they were in a telepathic trance with each other.
2: I would assume so. That was my guess. I thought that was super cool. Like
1: That is the coolest way to collaborate. And I feel bad that they couldn't have somebody like Mind meld with
2: Stamets. He could VPN in, right? He they could have VPNed him right. in,
1: Just, just VPN Stamets in. VPN.
2: Put him on the Teams right. chat. Virtual,
1: I need a virtual private neurology. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: so Booker stands on the sidelines, gazing at the desert, like like just looking out into the expanse, right? Which is very pretty. It was really nice to see Vulcan again after it being destroyed a couple times.
1: What do you think about the geology or the archaeology of this place? I thought it was really Loved. cool
2: loved yeah it looked like a. it looked like it was a newish building which is something we don't see much of Vulcan on like it looked like it was a, a merging of Vulcan aesthetic and Romulan aesthetic so I liked it yeah and
1: it's like our fourth Vulcan fountain
2: mm-hmm.
1: in in Star Trek many it, fountains you,
0: you know what I was just thinking uh in, in any of the times that we had seen Vulcan in any series it almost kind of came off as not technologically advanced at all disagree
2: disagree when we see it in enterprise there there there's a big city there when we see it in uh yesteryear in tas there's a massive city inside of like a caldera uh when we see it in the 2009 star trek movie we see a huge city behind spock when he's giving his whole like uh live long and prosper fuck you essentially to the science council right like there's a bunch of scenes where we see uh it's pretty developed the only place where we don't is when they're in the desert of Shikar, right? Like, Because that's mm-hmm. clearly not a habitable well, place. And there's
1: a reason yeah. for that. Remember, the the burgeoning of logic came at a time when they were about to destroy themselves. Now, sure, it might've been 3,000 years since then by Discovery's time point, but that kind of genetic and, and genetic memory lives a long time, but also Vulcans live like 200 years. So for them, that 3,000 years
2: it's, it's only 10 generations or so
1: right it's the same it's the same biological distance as 1500 years for us now think about the stuff that happened 1500 years ago that still affects us on a regular basis there's a lot of things if you looked in the historical record to be like okay these are still the things you know religions flow through at a certain rate archaeology weapons tech that 1500 kind of stuff,
2: years is older than islam right like that's uh uh-huh. so Almost. like we're
1: almost Islam is like 632
2: right so 632 plus 1500 is what
1: 2132 almost right that's why I'm saying almost there
2: no that's why I'm saying if we go back 1500 years from today that is older than Islam
1: that's true Um, but what I see is a society that was on the verge of annihilation and that memory lingers on and so they have a lot of nostalgia associated if you remember in 2009 there was that whole cave with the big statues of their elders yes um the vulcans are are, are very much they kind of feel like um is it is it west germany and germany today united germany that's very much like we learned our shit from world war ii and we're never going to go back to being those people
0: that was more West Germany. Like East Germany was well, stuck but, in time.
1: But today is a united Germany. Yes. And many Germans that I have spoken to, there is there's a lot of regret still lingering, a hundred and hundred almost a hundred years later. Yes. And and so the Vulcans, being a long-lived species, and having the planet-wide annihilation having been faced only three thousand years prior. mm Hmm. Uh, I would bet that they have a lot of nostalgic sites, and the reason why their planet sort of seems to be, you know, a barren desert area.
2: Well, I'm sure that they did a lot of damage to it, like, physically, like, with the war itself, but yeah, I, I feel like there are definitely some things that Vulcans will preserve, so like the temples... Uh, where where Spock gets, like, has his wedding duel in a muck time. Like, all those are things that are historical that they're not going to build up a city around.
1: I'm almost betting that they named an expanse of the wastes after Archer for being the first person to host Sirax Katra in, you know, at the time, what was it, almost 2,000 years?
2: Yeah, all that makes sense, right? But they do definitely have very advanced, very nice cities, too, that we've seen here and there.
0: Well, yeah, they should name something after Archer. The guy did go cuss with a vulcan and somehow didn't have a problem with it
2: maybe that's why they named the uh space dock that's building the new ships after archer as well because we know that vulcans have great respect for him maybe that was part of the whole like uh first human to beat up a vulcan yeah this
1: guy's famous the archer the archer theme is so good
2: yeah it was it was really good back to the episode back to the episode are you serious? Um, we're only, we're barely halfway through the episode. Oh my God. Yeah. Cool. So they continue on in this discussion a little bit further. Torina explains that like, they're, they're going to meditate guys. You got to give them time. She offers them some warm red spice. No idea what that is. Um, but she notes that Booker's body language indicates that he's struggling with something guilt in particular. She, she notes, it's very interesting that she is so adept at reading the body language of a non-Vulcan, particularly of somebody from Quajon, right? Which they're not even human, right? So she may not have had much experience or exposure with them, but she can tell the body language. So that's a very useful tool as a politician for sure. Um, She explains that, you know, you can't blame yourself for what's happened there. Um, And Booker, just like I am, is surprised that Tarina is so emotionally attuned and Tarina does the whole explanation that we see every time with Star Trek. Vulcans have emotions. They just keep them well contained. Yeah, yeah, they contain them, they suppress them, but they have them, so they know them well. So that was a good, you know, recap of Vulcan, emotional, everything. And uh, she uh, she is surprised that Booker asks to be taught how to suppress his own emotions, because according from what she says people from Kweijan are such empaths that they can't ever do that, right? Like, that's just not in their nature. You aren't emotional people. So, uh, yeah. There's a great, how, analysis there, a great discussion there. How
1: does she know so much about Kweijan?
2: That's what I was just saying. I don't know. And how to read their body language, because it seems like that would be, you know, not something that everyday Vulcans would get access to. Yeah, well, Al- I mean, post
1: burn Navarre? Yeah.
0: Why wouldn't she not have, like,
1: because gotten around to some because of the, other... the burn, she wouldn't have had as no much warp. access to kuei as.
0: Well, it, it wasn't, it wasn't that there, I, I get what you're saying, you know, no warp, but the way I took it was there, there wasn't like no warp at all. It just became a lot more um, of a commodity, a, a lot more rare if you did have dilithium you protected it with your life but
2: so you could, if you had dilithium in a situation after the burn would you just go doing touristy stuff and visiting every planet near you and getting to know the locals and their emotional states probably missions we're right you know hold
1: on I'm gonna give the benefit of the doubt here because I just thought of a thing We're now a few months post-Burn. It's entirely plausible that Kweijan and the Navarre have gotten in contact with each other, and a historical and cultural database has been sent to Navarre, and it totally makes sense that the president of Navarre would be very aware of the Quajan people.
2: Okay. That's fair. Alright, yeah. It just seems interesting to me that the president would be doing that, not, you know, one of her research functionaries that would do something like that. But whatever. Yeah, it's fair. That's
1: that's a production issue. We have one Vulcan who gets to represent all of
2: Navarre. Okay. I I I concede that point for sure. Alright, so we're back on the moonship. Uh Tilly complains that the whole control system is really weird, it's bizarre, uh it's she gets that it's the power source here, but it's not the control center, so the control center must be somewhere else. Um, but she did find the lithium, and the, she finds the tracker. She kisses it, and she starts doing her sabotage uh, and warns Burnham that Jivini will know this is being sabotaged.
1: Which is fine. Now, Renzo, you're kind of a tech person. What did you think about this ship?
2: I mean, so drawers of a whole bunch of little red rocks doesn't really sound like a warp drive to me, but... Um, it it was kind of cool looking i'm not so convinced that it was purpose-built for this it seems more like it was like an emergency escape arc kind of thing like their planet was in the last throes they threw together whatever they had they might have retrofitted a real moon of theirs to do this job but it certainly doesn't seem like it was built for this task i mean this could have been
1: an advanced species that was terraforming its moon
2: and, Why would you and, hollow it out if you want to terraform it? Though well, you end up with gravity problems.
1: Genesis. They hollowed out an. Uh, uh, they hollowed out an asteroid to see if they could. Yes. And then what happened here was they hollowed out a moon to see if they could house their people, and we went supernova faster than we expected. So we had to activate early. So we yeah. have sort of a hodgepodge system that barely works.
2: But. But it's barely worked for. Hundreds of years at this point. Well, but which we is still well, we don't Like have,
0: Dag said, it could have been an emergency evacuation. Sure, kind sure, of thing. Sure. We, we thing, don't have but, a
1: whole history. Like in my right. brain, what I took away was that one guy that we talk about, who's like was awake. Like, mm-hmm. what if that was like the thirty fourth in the line of people who had been frozen on this ship? And if you wake up and nobody else is awake yet, your job is to be the custodian.
2: Mm -hmm. until you die and then it wakes up the next one i get it
1: that could have just been the
2: thing yeah no i'm with you on that i'm just saying right like even if the thing only barely worked it managed to only barely work for hundreds of years to get their people here which is still pretty damn impressive for something that might have been a hodgepodge emergency deal considering the federation
1: has triple redundancy on their systems it's not far out of line to think that this civilization
2: so and with that's... the moon being hollowed
0: out think of it this way you've, you've got more of a natural protection you're inside the moon you've got the moon around you
1: it's yeah. good camouflage the rogue, the, yeah. it's a rogue yeah. planet that's all it is
2: mm-hmm. of which yeah. there are countless so yeah definitely nothing too crazy there all right so this is where Burnham's the Burnham's both of them realize that the ship was not a mausoleum but a refugee ship uh there are people in the cryogenic pods they're still alive Uh, And this is what Gabrielle decides is the reason Jiveny did this, right? It's protecting them from grave robbers. It's It's getting them to their destination. This is the lost cause that she's going to sacrifice herself for. And getting the dilithium was to make it so that they could get to their destination. So, uh, Tilly then announces that she managed to deactivate the engine. And then Burnham tells her, stay put, you're going to be bait because we're gonna catch Jivani when she comes down here. Which, you know- someone's going to be the pl- bait. It's not a bad plan. It's just Tilly, Tilly is the sacrificial lamb on this one and I feel bad for her. All right, cut to our next scene. We are back on Discovery. We have Adira hurling darts at a dartboard. Dartboard! What else would you hurl them at? Dartboard,
1: um, Julian Bashir, Miles O'Brien's legacy lives on. <laughs>
2: I'm
0: done. And then freaking Worf had to come in and just b- about put a hole through the dartboard. Jeez,
2: Worf. Yeah, definitely buried it to the hilt. that All right, fuck that so... Guy. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, Adir starts having, like, serious doubts that they made a mistake by allowing Grey to transfer into the golem because they can't hear Grey, so real crisis of confidence here. Um, they talk about it with Culber, um, and then they have a moment where they sit down... or. Culber even starts talking about it with Saru, um, who is asking about the status of the whole project, and Gray sneaks back into the sickbay, and just lays down on the table next to Gray, and the two of them just kind of like hold hands, and uh, just kind of like talks, uh, Gray, Gray, sorry, Adira talks to Gray, and just telling them that I'm here, just come back. Yeah. So... I don't know what to do without you, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Any comments on all this? Um, no. Good. No. Nope. Cool. All right. So <laughs> back to the moonship. Exciting for plot, the, the audience. Plot. We're
1: at one hour forty-nine minutes.
2: No, it's just, it's just. I want to get back to the moonship because that's the interesting bit. Here's where okay. it gets cool. Here we get uh, Tilly uh, talking about, joking about how she's definitely out of her comfort zone. Then Javini appears and tells her to step away from the engine. Uh, the Burnhams uh, a transport next to her, and uh, the trap is sprung. Javini lunges with her blade. Gabrielle tries to reason with her. Uh, the Starfleet officers try and help, but Gabrielle tells him to stay back. She's going to handle the fighting. Javini um, disarms Gabrielle and holds her blade to her throat, which is, you know... Is it me, or
0: did the Burnhams kind of let Tilly hang on the hook a little bit longer than they could have or should have it, it seems well, like they could have came
2: in a little earlier yeah so here's my thought on this what is the recharge time on personal transporters right like is it a minute is it two minutes because if you take too long to spring your trap her thing will have already recharged and she could just like beam herself back out yeah They've got I mean, a they've got to have a cooldown obviously but I want to know how long
1: yeah but if you've had the training of a co-op malat and you've got your blade to somebody's throat is your reflex time faster than the time it would take a transporter to dematerialize you
2: fair and what kind of protection does the dematerialization give you because we've seen phasers shot at a person transporting go right through we have talked about a
1: confinement beam and it's mm-hmm. been assumed that the confinement beam is kind of like a personal force field that prevents the de-resolution of the pattern during dematerialization however right. the co-op are like super duper ninja and we can safely assume by the way this episode presents it that Je- i would forget her name Janini? Jivini. jeveni sorry uh probably is aware of that tactic and that's why mama burnham doesn't beam out
2: yeah that's fair all right so here Javini now in this position of control with the knife to gabrielle's throat or sword um insists that tilly bring the warp drive back online uh tilly explains that it's gonna take a minute i did a real good sabotage job here it's gonna take a minute um and she is told to hurry here, you did too good with this job, so... Gabrielle tries to negotiate again. Uh, the Burnhams both explain that they understand what's going on here with the aliens and that they're trying to settle on this planet. Like, they get it. And then Javini finally explains the whole story. Their bodies had a high concentration of latinum, so they were going to be very lucrative for anybody who found them. Okay, that's just Javini. Weird yeah and, well, and that's body made of weird. latinum not is... made of latinum nothing that degree you're right. just saying not there's like a high of concentration it. of it
1: a lot right. high concentration of latinum in their bodies which right. okay i mean for the average star trek fan you're like okay yeah that's 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 the star trek money we got it it's not replicatable okay but like i'm over here like how and I'm not going to get an answer to that, so we can jump right back into the episode.
2: Cool. Yeah. Uh, so here's where <laughs> explains that she received a telepathic call for help from Tal- Taglanin, Taglonin, Uh while she was traveling through the system. It was a- While she was traveling through the system and the moon was under attack, Javini arrives, finds the grave robbers, kills them all, but it was too late to save the Taglonin. The Vault's Guardian. Do you know what I love um, about
1: that? I just what? I need to I need to point this out because it's a point of contention for me and a lot of the online community that's upset with all the people being telepathic weird stuff, but like Vger called out to Spock. Yes. The weird entity called out to Cybok. It's yes. okay for this evolved bug person to call out to Javinny.
2: It's cool. Sure totally cool. We've seen this a million times. Well, right, why is it? It's not it new. <laughs> I think we've seen it more than three, but that's at least three. I
1: mean, I think it's three that, like, on a distant channel a telepathic, you know,
2: resonance. We've like had it. telepathic rape by a Vulcanoid. Okay,
1: okay, okay. I didn't want to go there with the kind of stuff, because that that was proximity. He was on a different ship. Proximity, my sir. That was like Maybe a few kilometers away.
0: No, nowhere near what the distance between V'ger and Spock. Right. Or, or the god yeah, of gods the not and, Cyborg.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Let's not equate uh, the Viceroy, one little Romulan dude with like, some issues, and V'ger though. Right. Like, ranged communications have happened in telepaths in Star Trek many times. Uh, at one point, Spock even mind controls a dude through a wall without touching him in one episode. I think it was in the Roman episode. Okay. I think. Hold on,
1: who's finished Coda?
2: No, we're not doing this. Damn you people! Do do All right, just go. Hey, I... Just Don't go. Do
1: it. It's late at night, I'm loopy, let's do this. <laughs> well, yeah,
2: let's, All let's right. get through this, please. Yes. Okay, so here comes the revelation like that people were stealing, or we're gonna steal their latinum, cool, cool. Uh, so Javinny realizes that to save them, she wanted to restart the engine, uh, but she doesn't know how to restart or understand their cryostasis tubes anyway. She's not a scientist, right? So here, the bur- like Burnham offers to fix it and ju- fulfill Javinny's oath by waking them up at their destination, which they are literally already at. They just didn't wake up in time. So Tilly needs to repair the engine so that power can be restored to the ship so that Burnham can wake them up. And Javinny's like, mm, okay, fuck it, we'll try it. And that's kind of how that goes. Oh, the name of the race is the Abronians.
1: Abronian, which is a cool name. But also, she gives Michael... Is this where she gives the ultimatum? She's like, Michael, you have until Tilly fixes the ship to do what you need to do. Yep. Yes. And then Tilly is like, for the rest of the episode, I'm working as fast as I can. And maybe or maybe not be actually working as fast as she can. I
2: I assume that that's like a well-rehearsed Starfleet Engineer thing, right? Like, you fix things at the speed of plot.
0: Yes. So... It's always as fast as you can, which means it's I just. A, I can't as, imagine. As fast as the plot needs. Yeah.
2: There's
1: a class at Starfleet Academy. We're like, all right, everybody. There's this existential force called plot. You need to be able <laughs> to fix the ship in the time it takes for the plot demands. So, if you have two minutes, it takes two minutes. But you tell the captain it takes eight minutes. That way, you look like a miracle worker, and everybody in the class is like, what? This is didn't Montgomery tell how long Scott's it would law. Really
0: take, it would really take. Did you?
1: <laughs> it's this not even, Montgomery Scott's law. Yeah, it's, it, but yeah. it's not even about like the four times the law thing. It's just about wait. There's a plot force that influences how quickly we can actually fix the ship, and shit will happen around us that prevents us from doing it any faster. Because, and the professor's just like, "Yep," and everybody on the ship is like, "Okay." <laughs>
0: Well, we're all engineers in our own right, whether it's uh, software engineering, program engineering, you know, computers and all that. We all do that. It's yeah. whatever you think is going to be the amount of time for a thing to happen. You multiply it by just, two or three.
1: I just need before LeVar, time. Bur- before uh, Levar need Burton dies, I need him to do a skit where he's just like, captain the plot force won't let me fix the engine the, the the whatever i'm working on faster than you allow so you know if you can <laughs> all, all right, just sit Wooby back boys. and chill all right, <laughs> let's let's speak move on,
2: boys. I'm give begging my, you. give me my snl episode <laughs> all right so we cut back to Navarre. and on, we're Navarre, still on Navarre? we're we're just going back, back there yeah. that's okay we're, we're like
1: minute
2: there. 45 <laughs> uh here the council all emerge from their joint meditation together and uh the leader of the council goes to stamets no tachyons no wormhole hypothesis bunk uh stamets <laughs> is really pissed that he's like but it makes the most sense there's no other hypothesis makes more sense than this one uh and yeah, it's like
0: the square thing you're doing right
2: about. exactly so there's nothing else that it could be that we know of so it's either it's either something completely unknown or it's this thing that makes sense so tarina offers that proof might be obtained through a different way uh and they had gone over booker's records really well uh but and this is real science here if something fast something is traveling at the speed of light changes mediums into something that would make it slow down it releases that extra energy as it's called Cherenkov or Cherenkov radiation it's why in every video of like a nuclear radiate like nuclear reactor you've ever seen there's like this blue glow around it that's mm-hmm. literally what that is that is energy that would be going too fast for the medium so she argues that maybe there's Cherenkov radiation somewhere in Booker's memories and uh, Stamets is like, no, we can't make him relive it. That's that's too cruel. Booker's like, no, nah, give it to me. Give it to me. And mm-hmm. so Tarina plugs in, and we relive the destruction of kuei from his perspective again, and then he extends that and relives a little bit of additional moments with Kaihim and Leto um, just to make sure that, you know, Leto saw him and was smiling along with him. It just brings some calm and some peace to him. Uh, but in the end, uh, Tarina reminds him that you can't change this, you can't make new memories here, like this is the past. And she's like, and, and Booker's like, I understand, I just needed to see something I didn't look at the first time. And they go out of his little mind palace, and uh, Tarina tells Stamets that there's no sign of Cherenkov radiation, no blue glows, no blue flashes, nothing, there are no tachyons. So, Stamets apologizes to Booker for making him go through that for nothing and then booker makes very clear that it was not for nothing
1: is it just me but are they ignoring the very interesting thing that happened in the episode prior to this where the dma responded to their appearance like there's there's an episode of something that's like anticipation denotes intelligence i think that's from the fifth element but
0: Uh uh-huh yes actually
1: it responded to the appearance of discovery in the last episode and that response resulted in, among other things, the destruction of kuei
0: I kind of took that as a startled cat response.
1: But it, even it, it, even if a startled cat response is still more sentient than just a random anomaly floating through the cosmos. I think yeah, there okay. is
0: sentience there. That's that's why is suddenly discovery right spore Which, jump arrives from nowhere and like, then this thing's like, oh shit and then but, blows yeah. up the
2: planet. Okay. Renzo, go ahead. Let's say you have a let's say you have a lake, right? Or even a like a, a, a pool, right? There's no sentience to a pool. There's no sentience to the water, right? If right. you drop a pebble into the water, there's gonna be a reaction. If you drop a beach ball into the water, there's going to be a reaction. Water will spread out and then water will come back in from the edges and it will move things around further.
1: Right, right? but the lake doesn't chase me back to my car.
2: But from the perspective of something small enough, those waves that follow could be as devastating as like the DMA's gravitic bursts or something.
1: I, I get that, but I honestly think there is something with some semblance of intelligence. Even if yeah, at, at the most extreme this weird anomaly is some form of intelligence that has no idea what it's doing hurts people because it's like 3 AU or 3 light years in, in diameter um, I still feel like that is a key clue of evidence that no one's picking up on Like Stamets isn't picking up on the fact that like wormholes don't respond to the appearance of a starship starship is a tiny pebble to this three au thing
2: even a tiny pebble into a lake will still create ripples and waves right it will and that can cause a reaction that can be devastating i'm not sure macro level yeah i'm not sure whether this thing is 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 like a living thing or or intelligent or not i really don't know yet i haven't seen enough but i don't want to jump to the conclusion yet
1: i'm i'm not trying to say it's I don't know what I'm trying to say, I'm just thinking like, it's more than just a random element that's floating through the cosmos, huh. but nobody in the show, none of the characters are picking up on that attribute, and it seems to me, maybe just because we're, I don't know, maybe we're ahead of the curve in the viewership, but right. that aspect of things... The show should be smarter than the audience, and in this particular aspect, there's that nuance of the response that the DMA had to Discovery's appearance that's completely absent from Stamets' analysis.
2: You're right, and wait, unless there is something we're not understanding about wormholes, right? So we know that the Bajoran wormhole's mouth opens when you reach a certain distance from it, right? Maybe, yes. maybe the reaction that we're describing for Discovery's appearance there is something analogous to that, right? Maybe it's the equivalent, something that is normal for wormholes that we've never really been told is a normal thing, but they all know it is. Okay, well, did the, did the anomaly move
0: at the appearance of Discovery or expand? Because the the Bajoran Bajoran it changed wormhole direction, if I remember correctly, ex- expanded, but the Bajoran wor- wormhole didn't move or change direction. It just opened, and expanded. Whereas huh. this anomaly, yeah. and the
2: Bajoran wormhole's it... not a normal wormhole, anyways, right? Like it's the Temple of the True. Prophets, right? But so...
1: even the Barzan wormhole had a distinct threshold.
2: Yes, yeah.
0: yeah. So the the way I see this with discovery is they they went from saying, okay, we can't track this we don't know where it's going to go next and does anyone not realize that well it hasn't gone anywhere for a while now it's so sitting there and the only thing they haven't that, said that to its movement was the ship dropping in on it
2: i think they haven't said whether it's still moving or not they've just said that it hasn't threatened more inhabited worlds i think the problem that i have
1: is that an object that is able to create the lensing as depicted in this show should be easily trackable because that that kind of gravitic lensing only happens with mm, objects of ultra mass so like the DMA is the I forget what
2: DMA stands for dark matter anomaly
1: dark matter anomaly I'm calling it an ultra matter anomaly I think there's something super tiny at the center of this but it has ultra mass
2: mm-hmm and it it could be dark matter that's the thing dark matter doesn't create gravity that's it doesn't interact with normal reality that's that's what makes it so difficult to capture and find right we can find shadows of its gravity but we can never actually find its gravity affecting anything at least in modern like the real world right that's why they pick dark matter for things that we can't explain in sci-fi all the time because it it's there we know it's it's there we can find proof it's there right but we don't know the rules by which it functions Right. So I think this is just a case where we don't know the rules by which dark matter in this situation work.
0: Right. And Dag, it sounds like you're kind of talking about the spoonful of a neutron star. Uh, Right. Yeah. Super dense matter. Yeah.
1: Right. Right. I, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I just feel like there's some kind of ultra mass something. What if this is some kind of ridiculously, I mean, if we lean on the last season the event that triggered the burn was based on something that a lot of viewers thought was kind of anticlimactic.
0: Yeah, remember I was talking about that, like I, I don't know what I expected it to be, but the explanation that they did give for where they went with it was good.
1: Right. So this could this could literally be just some kind of extra galactic escape pod made of exotic matter that lenses gravity in the way it does because it's so far advanced from us that it just does what it does i'm really interested in this dma and i love the way the season is progressing by having these a b and c plots with the overall arc being the resolution of the dma Mm-hmm. and we're not even at the end of this episode yet
0: fucking christ
2: Right there with you. Anyways, going back <laughs> gonna, to the episode, I'm gonna edit
1: that out. We can't say that on the air.
2: Say what? Exactly. Oh, what I said?
1: Yeah, oh, shit. you're a horrible person, Jay. I know. I'm okay. a horrible person too, but you know.
2: <laughs> Renzo, please continue. Going back to the episode, uh, we go back to the moonship. Burnham discovers that the issue in the cryo systems is, and fixes it, and she starts waking them up. And uh, Javini tells him that it'll be a few minutes while they're decanting, and uh, Gabrielle then tells Javini, "Your path is ended. Give it up." Uh, and uh, drops. Her, agrees, drops her blade, and apologizes. Uh, Burnham, with her programmable matter, creates a pair of handcuffs, and uh, Javini gets cuffed. And uh, they beam back to Booker ship. Javini and Gabrielle do the death rites over the dead co-op Malat's sister and the Abronians start emerging from their moon arc ship and start landing on their new homeworld. in a very cool like looks almost like an alien invasion kind of scene but yeah. it's an empty planet so it's nothing quite so malicious well they hope it's it is empty. another
1: Star Trek ending Yeah,
0: it is, they're focusing more on Instead of shooting up things, more science and looking at the a deeper reason behind behind something. Um, it, it's not always a, a a bad guy or a villain to fight. It, it's not a um, Picard is is John McLean at the end of every TNG movie fighting a fighting a villain it's more smart scientific solutions to things
2: yeah it's definitely classic Star Trek style like it's a moral story with some science in it
0: yeah
2: alright so going back to Federation headquarters um, Gabrielle and Tilly are there they discuss about what Giovanni said about her path and uh, Gabrielle told her that she's going to start a new path Um, paths end paths change that's just part of life and explains what the meaning is of the choose to live Uh, statement is it's the path you are on has come to an end choose to live rather than trying to stay on the old one right that's Mm -hmm. that's what essentially it means so trying to stay on a path that's a dead end means you die so that's that's a nice interesting story for tilly that is struggling with the changing of paths that she's on um and we go back to the bridge where gabrielle joins burnham and admits that she asked for the joint mission because she was not sure what she'd be able to do to Javinie. She wasn't sure she'd be able to bring her in, but having Javini's understood the, how important Burnham was to Gabrielle, Michael was to Gabrielle, so having the two of them there, uh, she thought would be a way to convince her to, 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 to surrender. Yeah. and we saw a little bit of that in the previous scenes where she, where Michael goes she's my mom, right, like that's my mother and uh, it definitely did have an effect on Jivini well Michael's lucky
1: she's the only person with a material tether to this timeline her mom, everybody else has lost everybody
2: mm-hmm.
0: that's a good point I didn't think of it that way wow
2: yeah i mean that's a point too right like we even see that tilly is having some struggles about missing her mom every now and then Mm
0: -hmm. so
2: more so in the next episode than this but yeah all right in the end uh burnham admits that gabriel had been right the reasons do matter saving an entire species from extinction uh was a significant mitigating factor it doesn't erase the crime uh the action meant something but the crime is still the crime so cool
0: right good Good
2: character growth on Burnham's part Michael Burnham's part
0: still yeah. premeditated manslaughter right
2: not
1: premeditated she gave she gave the officer an opportunity to live and the officer murder second degree chose to murder yeah, okay it's murder in the second degree but there are mitigating circumstances that if the the girl Giovanni had just explained she said she tried to get in touch with Starfleet and Starfleet declined but it's probably because, because they asked she, the why. She didn't tell them why, because she was afraid they were going to be looted. Right. But right, the Federation so doesn't give a shit about Latinum. So. They
2: haven't ever. Yep. So cutting back to the Federation. Yep. Good segue. Uh, Burnham is being debriefed by President Rillac, President Torina, and Vance, and she explains the mitigating circumstances and suggests that they be taken into account when Javine is sentenced. Uh, Rillac is like Rilak is like, thank you but the request isn't necessary uh, Vance then announces that Jivini is going to be handed off to the Navari government entirely and they will deal with her as they do, out of our hands it's a extradition as we discussed earlier in the pod um, Tarina uh, raises her hand, peace and long life the other half of live long and prosper which is nice to hear And then departs with Javini. Gabrielle and Burnham give a good hug to each other. Off they go. Um, Burnham had been giving the mission to bring Javini to justice. Rilak is like, "You did a good job. Like, well done. Uh, But don't worry about Javini. That's that's for neither of us to worry about at this point. Uh, You know, don't don't stress about it. You can't Mm -hmm. make a difference here. This isn't something you can change." Um, And here is where Burnham tries to play the emotions card about how the commander that had been killed early in the episode, at the beginning of the episode, Patrick Thicket, had a family, he had a partner named Haril, and then the president cuts him off, or cuts her off and goes, yeah, and two children named Kren and Na'el. I read the file too, right? Like, it's clear that they're both interested in his justice being served, but the president is clearly looking at the big picture. Getting Navar into the Federation is a bigger deal than like retributive justice
1: it's been my experience that with such a shared trauma as this it makes so much sense for all of the key players in this new burgeoning moment to still be aware of the little people with big quotes Um, and having the president be aware of this person shows that there is an empathy there that um I think the average viewer who would view a Star Trek politician negatively Mm -hmm. might underestimate.
0: Well, and then also it was that lack of empathy that had become the Federation's downfall in the first place, not looking at the small picture. Uh, I know that there's that saying, lose the forest for the trees. Well, that's different if the trees are completely ignored and uh, so the federation was already on the slide because they were not really paying much attention to anyone then the burn happens so the lesson that's
2: that's one of the points though that gets made in this episode and in the past right like part of the reason why Navarre left was that they felt that their own sovereignty was being trampled on right Yes. So in a situation where you show that you trust the Navarre to handle justice themselves, you are building back the empathy, right? And that's a bigger, that's billions of people rejoining the Federation versus the family of Patrick Fickett potentially feeling like they didn't get the justice they deserved. Though, honestly, if that family is properly uh, explained the situation, they might be understanding of it. It's hard to say. Right? like If you have a very evolved sensibility about justice, this they might be perfectly satisfied with it. And I think that Michael Burnham is jumping to the assumption that they're not going to be satisfied with this, and she doesn't know. That
1: pivots on the, the trust in that evolved sensibility surviving 100 plus years of the burn and detachment.
2: Hard to say, right? There, but well, I mean,
1: and hard to say with this episode. But the next episode goes very much into that level of detachment, which we will talk about later.
2: Yep. Cool. So, cutting back uh, to that same scene, there's a quick discussion between uh, Vance and Burnham, and uh, Vance is obviously aware that Burnham is pissed about this, but he explains this whole like metaphor about like. I play the drums, you're the lead violin she's the conductor, we may not know why the conductor tells us to do things, but we do what the conductor says because that's the only way the orchestra makes any sense cool, it's a At very a valid badass
1: analogy that, so it was, my, that was,
2: My, my, was damn my feelings
1: damn good
2: yeah, Vance has always been very solid as like a uh, a leader who tends to make it clear why he's letting something happen so he's pretty transparent, I dig it he's so sexy though <laughs> uh back to discovery. Uh Tilly enters Suru's quarters, um, watering his his plants. Uh they joke around. Uh Tilly confronts him about the whole, like, you're the reason why I went on this mission, right? He's like, Yep, I thought you could learn from it. She's like, Thank you. I learned something from it. And it worked out well for both of them. It was a quest for new experiences, and she had some new experiences. And uh, then she uh, Asked about, oh, is this a swamp? the swamp kelp blooms and reaches out, and Saru like visibly like recoils to grab her to stop her. She was very clearly messing with him, so that was a nice, good, heartwarming <laughs> scene between the two of them.
0: He did freak the hell out. Yeah. Like I know the I... whole point was that there was something about it we weren't supposed to see what it was, but
2: I would love to have known what, but I don't care.
1: I sure. still right. love Saru. I love Doug Jones. I love his entire portrayal.
0: I I just I'm glad that there just there's not this awkward conflict about who's captaining the discovery. That yep. that's probably what I like most about Super is he's just you know he's the ambassador for. No. Um,
2: he's there as a captain. He's the captain who's working as XO. He's like Spock, captain. Like yeah. Captain Spock is the mm-hmm. was the XO. Okay. No, yeah. it's
1: it's definitely carving its own dynamic the show mm-hmm. and i really respect that because honestly like the dynamic of what you want to call the classic five O S T N tng yeah. ds9 voyager and enterprise is it's an ensemble show the captain mm-hmm. the captain is the star of the show who has a couple of people who are always in an episode with the captain Featuring some extras, and I don't mean that lightly. I mean like the ensemble's pretty heavy, but you know the the formula is kind of being shaken up in the televised format with Discovery, and I yeah. really appreciate it.
2: See, well, I'm I'm more not sold on it yet. I want an episode about aloshikun right? Like, what is like? Give me an episode that focuses around her, right? I want an episode around Detmer. I'd love an episode around like. Where's Jet Reno been, right? Like, these characters deserve yeah. episodes of them where they are the hero, not Burnham every now and yes, then. Yes, right? you're
1: not wrong.
2: But we're not going to get that in Discovery's format. But so.
1: when Discovery was promoted, before it even aired, it said that it was going to be focusing on the career of a particular character who was not going to be the captain. Right, That
2: was I remember 20, that. That was
1: 2016. Yep. 2017... It comes out, and it's about Burnham. And the whole fan base... Not the whole fan base. A lot of the fan base is really upset that it's about Burnham and not about anybody else. And then oh, yeah. and, and then we get season two, which really tried to appeal to the fan base by including Pike and number one and Spock. And then this weird... David Mack Section Thirty One Control <laughs> Book Aspect. If you haven't read the books, please read the books because it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, but we but we still get this moment, and then season three takes us into the future, which honestly could have been the the writers and the producers reacting to public. I'm not going to say criticism? outrage, but criticism that the show keeps going backwards in time from the end of Voyager. Okay, fine. You, you put us a thousand years in the future and you give us this, this really free drafting board. That's great. And now we're going to focus on Saru's struggle to be a captain. if If we're looking at this from a captain centric perspective and at the end of the season, Saru goes off with Sukal. And Burnham becomes captain of Discovery. Okay, great. I love a good origin story. But still. Um there's a missing aspect for me. I don't know how to define it quite articulately, but I love Burnham. I love the role that she's in. I agree that I need an owosican story, and I need a Detmer story. And I need a Bryce story, and I need a Rice story. And I need to know who the fucking chief engineer of the goddamn Discovery is, because we (laughs) haven't had one for four (laughs) fucking seasons. Give me one. Make Jet Reno the chief engineer. Make Stamets finally the chief engineer. Make somebody the goddamn chief engineer of Discovery now. Yes, commit to it. Please. Please. So make sense. I don't need the no key stupid the question. I don't need a stupid Chief Argyle, season two, Star Trek: The Next Generation. I need Six a chief engineer. There's the there's the there's the the core of a Star Trek show. You have got a captain, a first officer, an ops officer, a helm officer, a security officer, somebody else who's on the bridge, whether it's DePaul or Deanna Troy. You need a chief medical officer. You've got your regular transporter lackey and your chief engineer. These are the core. If you want to appeal to the core, fill the roles. But, but,
0: this is the thing. Back in the back in those days with TOS, TNG, DS9, Voyager, Enterprise, the goal was syndication. Goal of syndication. You have to get a hundred episodes forget the syndication that was the goal that is why you have these 26 episode seasons you you have all these filler episodes you have episodes where you have that time to have some kind of focus on all the characters but now in this day and age of the streaming services the syndication is just it's a thing of the past so you don't have to try to push out these 24 to 26 episode seasons because syndication is not the goal anymore so when you look at it let's say a season of tng has a budget of 10 million dollars just gonna throw a number at 10 million dollars so you got to take that 10 million and you still have to go for the main goal which is syndication we need to get to that 100 episode mark so we need to have each of these seasons be as long as we can make them with this 10 million dollar budget that's that's why you have some episodes that are, are certainly you can tell they were saving up that you're you're saving up for the episode that eats a little bit more of the budget and that's why the maybe a couple of episodes prior is a is a bottle show so now let's say you it's still a 10 million dollar budget i'm just going to keep it easy but now, you're, you're doing however many damn episodes you want to do. It could be 11, 12, 13, whatever it is. But the thing is, is that because you don't have the syndication goal, you don't have to have what we're used to and what we grew up with, which was the 26-episode seasons, the distinct... Uh, captain first officer this this, so da, 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 that's, da, that. that's all
2: fair right but other big right. science fiction shows with similar budgets to discovery and i'm going to talk about the expanse for a minute here do manage to give us more of a background on every single one of their characters streaming we, i don't care so is so is discovery
0: well but so is discovery uh, yeah yeah okay so is is the expanse like a? it's
2: solely on in, on amazon okay
1: i thought it was my, on netflix
2: no, I mean the old seasons might be, but so are the old seasons of old Star Trek. There's Chargers. another
1: weird space show on Netflix then.
2: Uh, Lost in space.
1: Deep something.
2: There is that. Um... Whatever. Point was with the Expanse, yeah, no, right? It's you. a big budget show that has yep. a huge fandom at this point. It's on six seasons, all yep. of them short, like like uh, Discovery seasons. But they've given us a ton more background on their characters than anything Discovery has even gotten close to, right? Like we knew more about like the the chick who betrays everyone and why, than we know about like Detmer at this point, right? It's, they, they, I think that there has been some issues with the writing in the sense that not only is Michael Burnham the main character, she must be the solution to everything. She must be the one that fixes things, right? You don't have to be that if you're the captain, you don't have to be that if you're the science officer. There are many episodes where even a science problem isn't solved by the science officer or an engineering problem is not solved by the engineering officer, right? Like, it's a crew, someone comes up with the idea, and they all work it together. But the problem for me in Discovery has been that most problems have to be fixed, or Michael is the solution to most problems, and I don't find that quite appealing. Uh, I would love if there was more ensembling. You're right, the way that changes in TV have happened make that much less likely. That's fine, but then figure out a way to do it better because what you've got now, I think, has been weak for the other characters. Other They've shows gotten, do it better. They have gotten
0: better. Agree. Still all honesty, not good. They, right, right. Um, but then here's the the counter argument that I'll make is, haven't we gotten more than enough of that traditional Star Trek no. formula?
2: No. No, and I don't think so. I don't think that the fans will agree with you on that one. I think more I mean, people would rather see an ensemble stuff than they would rather see this. Again? Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. We because I just, the Expanse is doing better than Discovery. Well, but by a does, lot. Does the Expanse
0: have hundreds of episodes of prior series under its belt?
2: It's sci-fi, right? Like you pick a you pick a franchise, you can watch as much as you want, right? The Expanse is six season or six seasons into the show. The last season comes out in a couple of weeks, right? But uh, they've still done more, and they do have an ensemble where everybody gets some screen time every episode.
0: Well, yeah, I'm just I'm just saying that before Discovery, Star Trek was already sitting on, at that point, how many? Like hundred episodes?
2: No, oh, 700 like 700 some? or so. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, even so, hard. right? Like, but We're that's fine.
0: 700 plus hours of, of ensemble. So it, what,
2: right? If the 700 plus no. hours worked and new shows are making it work too, why does Discovery have to do something that is clearly, I think, dividing the fandom this way? So I'm not gonna know.
1: say that Discovery has to do something that's clearly dividing the fandom this way but discovery was billed yes as something that was going to go this way discovery was billed to say that there was going to be a character who was not the captain who was going to be the main character we all knew this in 2016 we all knew that there was going to be a magnum pi or a macgyver or a knight rider of Star Trek Discovery. There was going to be a main character which had never been done before in Star Trek. We had all been used to the ensemble and now we don't have that. And okay, it's fine. I love Michael Burnham as a character. I think she has a lot of growth to show. I think the writers have been very inconsistent in expressing that growth. But I also think that by taking the focus off of Michael occasionally... And giving a show to, as Renzo and you have said, Jay, Owoshikun, Detmer, Rice Bryce, Colbert, um name Pollard, Pollard, thank you. Um Jet Renault. Give me an episode or two between the main arcs that has a focus on these other characters so that I get to know them so that when Owosakun does something very specific at her station, that I can call back to something that she has said or done previously that makes her action a little more powerful when it happens on the screen, that I care what happens to these characters. I really want to care about them. And honestly, the three of us, the three of us exist in the space of star trek that is like the top 0.01 percent of fans that's why we host this podcast that's why we talk outside of the show a lot about the episodes that are happening that are being planned about the shows that are coming forth strange new worlds the section 31 bit prodigy season one part two um we are in the know and we're dedicated and we're determined. To understand the regular fan may not have that level of de- dedication and so when they see a Wosukun or Detmer or Rice or Bryce or Pollard
2: they may not even remember who they are
1: they may not even know their names which is a big what? thing that happens on Twitter and reddit can you name more than one side bridge character
0: and that's an oh I'm sorry go ahead
1: I was just going to probably agree with what you're about to say. It's like it's kind of a disservice <laughs> to the actors and the characters that we don't get to know more about Aloisukun who in the last season I think we discovered was from a people on earth who could hold their breath longer. Like that's a cool thing. Let's right. explore that more. Tell me more about your history and how you grew up and how you came to value that aspect of the culture in which you grew up tell me more about detmer i you know detmer detmer's been present since day one and all we get from her is the battle of the binary stars and suddenly she has a cybernetic implant i want
2: that explained and now it's been upgraded and moved back right, right? like something right. changed like right, why? right. i, she in the I first want place?
1: i want to understand detmer's experience i want to know about the trauma that she suffered i want to know about maybe the elation that she felt when the 32nd century doctors said hey we can minimize your implant and you'll have more visual acuity than you've had in the last two or three years i want well, I know to understand that there was an injury,
0: there, there was an injury uh, battle of the binary stars no, 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 no. That...
2: yeah no we, yeah, 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 yeah. we know why
1: there was definitely an injury but i want to understand detmer's perspective i want to see yeah.
2: her here's one we know that she was mad at burnham immediately after all that like she held a grudge on Burnham. oh yeah how did she get over the grudge because that was not something for burnham to overcome that was something for detmer personally to get over Mm -hmm. i want to know how that happened right that's an interesting conflict between two characters instead nothing all right so i'm gonna i'm gonna force us off this topic because we've got to finish this episode i understand we're
1: at 233 it's it's gonna be another hour we're fine yeah
2: (laughs) I've only go got two more, scenes, <laughs> <There's> <laughs> two more scenes, guys. <laughs> only okay. two more scenes. Yeah. Yeah. So no. In it's, sick bay. Yep. In sick bay now. Uh, gray uh, still remains unresponsive. Uh, on the monitors, we finally see like some blips of brain activity, and uh Gray holds onto Adira's hand, and finally wakes up. Adira uh, gets excited, um, asks if he's himself. And Gray is just like looking at his hands, like just holy shit, it's happened. It's definitely like a interesting moment. Uh, Adira tells him to slow down. He tries to get up on his uh, Gray tries to get up on his feet, um, and then Doctor Culber walks in and goes, "Oh, let me get Do- let me get Guardian Z, and uh, take it slow, keep it all steady." But Gray is just like running around, hugging and laughing and having a great time. Um, yeah it's very heartwarming scene and i'm so glad that the imaginary friend arc is over right yeah. like yeah. that's now behind us now we can get some real character development for both of these characters that one does not rely upon the other
1: 100 percent agree
2: uh but yeah great scene really really well well acted on all parts like i think gray's actor like was probably truly fighting back tears that entire scene because if not Uh, I don't know how he made that that look so convincing.
1: Yeah. Finally, as an actor, I get to interact with these other people. I don't have to be freaking Dean Stockwell in Quantum Leap where I can't even touch another character.
2: (laughs) He was Patrick Swayze in Ghost for the whole time oh god <laughs> dude we could do a whole show on that movie because i it's a great movie it.
1: it's really good it's 21 it's 31 years old now holy crap
2: so now our last scene uh Thank on you. the back on discovery uh booker is lying on the bed looking at a hollow projection of the quajon forest uh Burnham enters the room and she is like hey this is the quajon forest are we good are you okay and uh booker explains the whole like it was painful it's hard to look at but it's nice um he got a memory back like the whole thing uh gets a little bit of clarity between the two of them it sounds like booker might be starting to heal a little bit or at least like move past some of the trauma which is very important and uh burnham notices that he's wearing the amulet that we saw leto wear in the uh, opening episodes of the season and uh he admits that he hadn't worn it for years it didn't feel right but it feels right again so uh seems like we've got growth there for them too like as a couple that seems like growth right and uh yeah they look up at the projected sky together and they seem to have like a moment of like weary respite and like start to recover some of their lost emotion from that soul, whole mess
1: from a technical aspect i love that the quarters can incorporate moments from the holodeck
2: I love yeah, it. it's it's a really logical advancement. It makes sense. We saw it kind of in Picard, right? Like his stateroom had the the old hotel vibes turn on and off, right? Yes. I mean, when he was yeah. on
1: La Serena. Uh,
2: yeah, La Serena.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: So it makes sense that that would evolve on.
1: Right, and this is just another, like, I'm just thinking in my head, like, okay, we have figured out in a thousand years to reduce the energy expenses of producing a similar holographic experience. So here you
0: go well of course i mean look how fast transporter beams people in and out it's like
2: boom it's like they're literally this big like they're this big now the whole transporter so
1: the the tricom Mm -hmm. the tricom badge yeah i'm all about it i have two of them as props
2: so at this point i think the episode was overall (sighs) really good i like that it was a contained story it had a beginning middle and end all in this episode there's the only hanging shit like chads i'll go with that one the only hanging chads for this episode are the mysteries of the dma which we know is our season long thing which is fine and uh yeah i give this episode a good like nine out of ten nine warp factors out of ten and that's pretty good for me nine warp <laughs> factors out
1: of ten. i'll give it i'll give it 8.5 vulcan mind melds out of 11.
2: Ooh. Like, is this going to be a 7 of 9 joke now? No, I've, I've just, left it
1: open for Jay. He can do it if he wants to.
2: I, you know, I'm
0: sitting here thinking I've got to be up in exactly 7 hours from now for a full day with the kids.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sleep is for the week.
0: I, yeah, I know. I know. Um, okay, so I'm going to give this episode uh, 4 out of 5 the requirements for a wormhole. Good one, uh, that's good a... one.
1: <laughs> I love it. Love I'm it. jealous. That's <laughs> a, such a good one. Yeah, it is.
0: That that was that was it, folks. That was like the last thing my brain could do tonight. <laughs> it's, it's shutting down. So my, if my you're listening to this,
1: <laughs> if you're listening to this show, it's Monday. Hopefully, uh, episode four is already out. We've already done a live the day before this episode. Premiered on uh, on YouTube and Anchor, so uh, check out YouTube, check out Anchor for episode three and episode four, both airing on Monday, December thirteenth. Thirteenth, yeah. Uh, and if you are listening to this after the thirteenth, stay tuned because episode four is going to follow right after this.
0: Awesome good night guys have fun a lot
1: for sticking with us for uh two plus hours we really appreciate your patronage and your listenership please consider subscribing to us on youtube on anchor uh even checking out our patreon become a patreon join our discord and uh as always thank you for going boldly with beyond trek podcast Hey everybody. I just wanted to give a quick shout out to our Patreon and Anchor supporters. Big thanks to Stephanie Baker, S. Tam, Anne Marie, Jim Cook, and Nora Hickson. We really appreciate your support. Thanks for being a part of Beyond Trek Podcast. We are
2: Beyond Trek Podcast. Lower your inhibitions and surrender your years. We will add inspirational and hilarious Trek content to your day. Your attention will adapt
0: to subscribe to us. Resistance is futile.